Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a good place to forget bad things. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Serial Vasquez. Uh, hi. Jeff Marchiafava. Hey. And Kyle Hilliard. Always a technical hurdle to get these things up and running, but we've done it. I believe if you're watching the video version, it's a different layout. I hope you enjoy what this is. But uh, hey, what this is is a is a hell of an episode. We got a lot that we're covering. There's a game here that I've written down called the Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, that I will share spoiler-free impressions of. I've only played the first six hours, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about the PlayStation 5 controller, which... Of course, it's a Tuesday afternoon. Sony's got to reveal the PlayStation 5 controller. Right, uh, yeah. the, right, the right after Sony or uh, X, uh, Microsoft had announced their inside Xbox thing was happening. Oh. Sony just happened to drop uh, their controller. Hey, so. this is the fun console wars that we all have grown to love. Uh, then a little bit about Half-Life Alex again. Then Jeff um, talking about tabletop games. And then maybe some fun surprises thrown in there as well. And then some great community questions in the back half of the show as we open up the Minbox. Uh, table setting out of the gate is uh, the deepest dive on Final Fantasy VII. That is our game club discussion. That is kicking off. Kicking off next week. This is going to be super fun. So we're breaking the game up into chunks, going as in-depth as possible. We're going to have the best, most thorough discussion about the game on the internet. Not on the MinMax show. It's going to be a separate thing. It's going to be separately on the YouTube channel. And then if you want the podcast version, you can support us at the $5 tier. And then you get the podcast version, that exclusive feed, in addition to, you know, episodes of the MinMax show early and a bunch of other fun stuff. But, uh, so, just so everybody knows, we're all on the same page. The first episode of The Deepest Dive for Final Fantasy VII Remake will be airing on April 15th. We'll be recording it on the 14th, which means we'll have the post up for your thoughts on the 13th. And in that first chunk, we're covering everything up through chapter four. So at the end of chapter four in the game, which is roughly six hours in, at the end of chapter four, a character will say, hey, are you sure you want to get on this train and, and launch this mission? Um, you can stop right there and save it. That is the very end of chapter four. Um, so again, reminder, airing on the 15th, but if you support us on Patreon and you want to leave comments for us to read because we're looking for very specific fun things to dissect, and there are a lot of them in this opening chunk, that post will be going up on April 13th. Jeffem, how are you feeling about the deepest dive on Final Fantasy VII Remake? I'm excited and ready to get it started. Oh, great. Yeah, we did uh, the great Goaty Hunt stream of the remake yesterday. I noticed a lot of people were like, I'm just jumping in to say hi in the comments, then I'm going to bow out because I don't want any spoilers. Um, and even nice. in that stream, there are some things that people would consider spoilers, which you know, we'll, we'll dance around uh, for this discussion. But for that deepest dive, it's going to be very intense and spoiler-filled for those first six hours. But we have people, uh, you know, like Jeff and, and Kyle who have never finished Final Fantasy VII before, so we won't be spoiling things from the original game in that deepest dive. We're going to treat it like everybody's going in cold to this thing. Um, and then also, Kyle, coming up on Friday is a new episode of Mintrax. Yeah, we recorded that last night actually. oh awesome so this is uh, our music podcast hosted by matt helgeson's in a separate podcast feed you can find it if you find it and you like it please leave us a review on itunes but what's the matchup for mintrax this week kyle well of course hansen it's van morrison's sophomore album astral weeks and blink 182's enema of the state hell yeah <laughs> oh, wow. i love it that is why that podcast rules did you have a good time yeah. recording that yeah yeah no i i have a did I, helgeson have a good time recording that I think he did. Like, I, I really think he, he took away some positive things uh, for Blink-182. But, oh, like, nice. I, I really genuinely love Blink-182 and that album. So it was a lot of fun to, like, dive into that for sure. I'm excited yeah. for that episode to go Talk live. about all the small things, yeah. Yeah, and how but that and how that's the worst uh, song on the album. We definitely <laughs> go into that for sure. Love it. Um, okay, let's talk about the PlayStation 5 controller, the DualSense, as it's called. They're ditching mm -hmm. the DualShock. 
Um, gut reactions. Uh, Jeff Marchiafava, when you first saw that thing, what did your gut tell you? It looks weird. <laughs> Kyle, gut reaction. Uh, it, Big. It, it looks very weird, and I was worried about the buttons on it. It didn't, because it was just that first, you know, like straightforward shot, it looked like they weren't sticking up enough. But then when I looked through all the different ones, it's it, they seem pretty much analogous to what we have now. So that's yeah. all right. It is, uh, it's... But, Oh, go ahead. And, and the, also the other thing that I thought when I first saw it was it, it reminded me of the old uh, PS3 Boomerang prototype. Yeah, for like sure. The, like the overall shape, it seems to be getting bigger for some reason. It looks, my reaction was big. Like it looks bigger. They And then yeah. in the text on the blog post, they're kind of like, it feels smaller than it looks. I'm like, okay, we'll see what that's about. Because <laughs> they probably uh, focus it, tested yeah. a little bit and that was a lot of the reactions. Like, it looks like the Duke too. And so I was like, okay, well, let's make sure we have wording in that blog that says it's smaller in your hands than it looks. And it's one of those things too where, yes, it looks kind of bloated. It looks interesting. I trust them that it's comfortable. I don't think they're going to release something yeah. that's uncomfortable yeah. in this day and age, you know? But then, you know, somebody, I think on the MinMax Discord, um, they posted like, well, you know, look at like the Astro C40, which people see as a wonderful PlayStation controller. And like, that thing's pretty big and hefty. And it's so weird that that simple Photoshop that people had out there of the DualSense controller, but in a full black mat instead of the the two-tone. Mm -hmm. I was like, somehow that, yeah, it makes it look so much better in my mind, but I'm not opposed to the white. It just somehow tricks the eye, I think, into making it look funkier than maybe it really is. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it looks like a DualShock uh, 4 with like a sleeve on top of it. And I think that the two-tone is like what makes it look like that. But yeah, Surreal, what were you going to say? Yeah, it's also weird because we don't necessarily have like a good sense of scale. So it might yeah. actually, for all we know, it's slightly smaller than the than the DualShock 4. But it's like the form factor makes it look bigger than it yeah. normally is. Because we don't have like someone's hands on it or anything. So it's hard to know exactly how big it is. So I think it it might... Like they said, it might look bigger than it is because of the more rounded design. And and the two-tone color, I think, makes it look bigger. Yeah, They should have thrown a quarter next to it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or just like a Mark Cerny face. You know, just everything has a point of scale <laughs> yeah. of reference there. Uh, it's just like the whole background instead of white. It's just Mark Cerny's face, and it's like to scale, basically. Cyril, <laughs> <laughs> you said uh, on Twitter you're very excited about a certain uh, port. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it'll have uh, USB-C. And why does that excite you so much? USB, which is good because, uh, well, for one, it's two-sided. You know, you don't have to worry about it. That is true. Uh, also, I think it's like an overall better data transfer stuff. And they also mentioned that uh, uh, they're they're trying to maintain battery life better on the thing because it will still have the rechargeable battery that is like intrinsic to the controller versus uh, the Xbox One's reliance on batteries. Um, which I think we talked about it a, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, we all uh, hated it unanimously. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I still tend to prefer the battery stuff, but I think that if I like that they mentioned specifically that, yeah, we know about the battery life problem. We're gonna we're trying to do better by it. Um, I also have like as as a uh, Android user, more bought into USB C uh, than anything else at this point. So I think yeah. uh, moving from micro USB to USB C, I think is probably the right move right um, and they did clarify too that there is a headphone jack you couldn't see it on there but uh, yeah. it is in there also changes now is uh the home button looks like the playstation button interesting it's, yeah it's the logo instead of like the the logo on like a top of a little circle or something yeah so it's like it's a more like it's less buttony right but, and they also yeah. got rid of the share button which they're very proud of with the 
PlayStation blog post and replaced it with the create button that has little right. looks like a button is shouting at the TV. Right. Um, so it, it's French yeah. fries. That's it's you got hamburger button and French fries. And French fries. Yeah, they they've given you a whole meal of that controller. Uh it's weird that they go from like text on the controller versus like sideways stripes and uh vertical stripes it's really we it's like this weird i guess now we can man manufacture the controller in every territory without having to like change the the font or whatever but it's this weird yeah. like look this is way better we've we've uh we've changed the share function to the create function which no one will be confused by the difference by uh especially since we don't really say what that means at all like we'll have stuff later on about what that means i think it means it launches dreams if you press that button oh yeah it just it I just mean, it immediately puts you into the, like their model their blender thing it's yeah. like if you want to make this thing randomly I mean, there's there's some flowery language in that blog post, but like, I mean, it's gonna be functionally similar, like identical. I'd imagine. Yeah. The right? the biggest difference, uh, I think, the two biggest differences uh, that stand out are the haptic triggers, which they haven't had before. You know, they they obviously took inspiration from the seminal uh, analog triggers on the GameCube controller and have said, yeah, we need those. Uh, and then the other thing was the microphone array that is now intrinsic to every controller. So now, so it's every, built in. Literally, everyone will have a mic. Which even yeah, the blog posts like are like the Wii U gamepad, finally. Exactly. <laughs> it is like See, weird wording in there where they're like, you know, you don't want a headset if you're going to be gaming for a long time, but it is, I hope it sounds better than like the PS4 little uh, earbud that you got uh, originally, something mm -hmm. like that. But I'm very curious to see what that sounds like because even just, is it assuming that you're playing with headphones or will it somehow be able to pick up your voice and not the sound of the TV? I just, I want to know. Yeah, that sounds. I wonder I mean, if that's what like why it's an array or whatever. If they have like just a some weird thing, if it's like a tech thing where they can say like, hey, because if it's it's a microphone array, we can maybe change which microphone we're using, right? Depending on like how loud, what kind of sounds we're detecting, uh, which will be interesting. Yeah. But. So here's a, here's the wording from the blog post. Um, ba 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 ba. For example, with the adaptive triggers, we had to consider how the components would fit into the hardware without giving it a bulky feel. Our design team worked closely with our hardware engineers to place the triggers and actuators. The designers were then able to draw the lines of how the exterior of the controller would look and feel with the challenge of making the controller feel smaller than it really looks. And then also in terms of the share button, this is all they really say. Oh, well, they talk about the origins of this thing by saying... When PlayStation 4 launched in 2013, the DualShock 4 wireless controller garnered a lot of positive feedback from gamers and developers for being the best PlayStation controller yet and for introducing forward-looking features like the share button. This brought us to the next question. How do we build upon that success? And the answer was uh, pump it full of more features and uh, inflate it mm -hmm. a little bit. Also, it's weird that they, I think they also mentioned like, hey, we noticed that not a lot of people were getting a lot of use out of the touch functionality of the touchpad or whatever, but they still had, like, they've, they've still committed to keeping that in there um yeah i wonder is, for backwards compatibility reasons mainly or how they see that yeah it's a weird Maybe. loose hanging thread in that in that blog post at least at least they got rid of the light bar well yes uh jake zielsdorf wrote in actually to the minmac show here and he says hey with the reveal of the playstation 5 dualsense controller i noticed it doesn't have a prominent light bar on the top of the controller like the dualshock 4 that light bar was integral to tracking the DualShock for the PlayStation VR. Do you think this change means next-gen PSVR will switch to inside-out tracking like the Oculus Quest? It's definitely possible. I imagine that, you know, whatever tech they have in the PSVR, whether it's inside tracking or not, um, that'll they just won't need it for that, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I'm very curious to see what that is more than even the controller. Because I think for as much as um, the internet freaked out about it, I think it's... I think the biggest differences are aesthetic. I really don't think it's like this huge, like step up or whatever from the DualShock Four. It's just I think it looks very different, but it, you know it's got 
it's got that it's got the defense it's got two analog sticks you know they didn't stagger them um which i think would have been huge i think that would have been like a much bigger change than anything else they've, they've announced people would have taken um, to the streets yeah i know they're not supposed to right now but they would have abandoned the rules of social distancing yeah. just to riot yeah. so for... it's not it's not like they added like you know this they, is they essential damn it <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but that that is like i think the the look of it will be interesting and then the feel you know, we obviously no one's gotten their hands on it, but I'll, I'll be interested to see like what the feel and, and make of the analog sticks and stuff um, is going to be. Yeah, I saw John Beach uh, from Media Molecule Designer over there. He tweeted out uh, Debug and LED Approve, who are like the two kind of sci-fi characters in Dreams because they look like the design they looks do. so they similar. Look like that. Yeah. Not that it's, it's related, a it's a happy coincidence. Um, but yes, you talk about like the visual impact leaving a splash in the industry. Surreal. It is... It goes back to the larger theme, I think, of just like trying to figure out what is Sony doing? What is the roadmap here for the PlayStation 5? Is this a smart move? Is there a better way to do that? Because to have that shock moment of what? A white dual shock? What is it? We've had light gray, but white is, is far out, especially two tone. Um, but to have that impact, I feel like I wish I saw it bundled with the console and like a sizzle reel showing like some new design sense that they're going for, but instead just one day just basically tweeting out a picture of the new controller just feels like there should have been a more efficient splash going on here right yeah, yeah. they didn't even like there's no video of it uh, of them showing off like a microphone array or any of the haptic feedback they just kind of mention it which is this it's been part of this larger weird rollout from sony about it, it seems like they're still they still haven't finalized the the hardware design, I guess, depending, you know, considering that they've held off on it for so long. I mean, who knows how the rollout would have been different had, like, you know, uh, current events not taken over so much. But right. um, it's it's this weird, like, ah, I guess we'll announce when we need to, since we're the market leader at this point. So no real need to uh, to really like it's our race to lose. It seems like well, their stance on it. I but. think it's also just they're in a weird spot just because they still have huge first party games on the PlayStation four. And I'm sure that's part of the strategy is not wanting to step on that. Right. So it's like when we have ghosts, when we have last of us now and definitely delayed, we'll talk about that later in the show with, with community questions. But, um, it's just that weird thing of like, we would love to get out of the gate. I'm sure, but we don't want to undercut these other games. Whereas Microsoft's mm-hmm. like, Full steam ahead. Let's go. We got to we got to drive around here. Let's yeah. talk about the We got bleeding system. edge out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Ori and the Will of the Wisps came out. We're done. Like they, we've we're going out on a high note. So Am I missing something? I, I think I think that's true, right? I mean, they're ready to go at this point. Yeah. I yeah, I, I can't imagine there would be a like surprise it. thing. Yeah. And it's also like Microsoft's pitch hasn't necessarily been about exclusives and more about their ecosystem and if the Series X is just like, "Hey, this is a better version of the of the things we have now." Of like the console we have now, we're not going to have exclusives for the first year, so they really don't have a uh, a reason other besides like, hey, maybe the console is not going to launch this year. Yeah. Uh, beyond like saying like, hey, here's everything you need to know about. The, here's what the console looks like. Here's uh, here's accidentally maybe the launch window uh, and everything else about like their their system. I don't think they're holding. They they have no reason to hold off. Whereas I think Sony has definitely uh, a reason to at least until like let's say july to really go uh full force on like all of their announcements yeah uh okay predictions right now line in the sand hold us to it listeners and viewers what color will the playstation 5 be kyle hilliard white you think it's gonna be two-tone i think it'll be white okay are we all going pure white because i think it's probably gonna match that controller i I think it's gonna be black and white 
kind of like a stormtrooper helmet kind of mashup okay. that will match the controller. Black and white and played all over. Serial? What do you think? I think it'll it'll be mostly black with maybe like a white accent. Like maybe yes. one part of it will be like there will be a stripe maybe around the center or something that'll be white. I could see I it. See yeah. That. In the yeah. middle of those Cerny layers, I think they're officially called the flapjack stacks yeah. of the PlayStation 4 at this point. Yeah. If they want to get real fancy. They, you know how the the base PS4 had um, that what that blue stripe all along the center? Maybe right. they'll just have like a more prominent version of that, and that light will be white. That'd be cool. That'd be uh, cool. Super annoying <laughs> if you're playing at night. Uh, I can see that. But yeah, I think this does point to there being at least some white on that console. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about how I've never seen one of those launch white Wii U's out in the wild. Remember there was like the 8 gig Wii U model? at launch. Yeah. If you have a white Wii U, tweet it at our Twitter account at Midmax Show because I want to see that sucker. <laughs> I want to see if anybody <laughs> don't be has painting one. a black Wii U white. That's cheating. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And don't just take a picture of it, yeah, and like brighten it in Photoshop. Also cheating, and I think I'll be able to tell. Uh, but Jim Ryan at the end of that blog post uh, slipped in his own comments there saying, "Dual sense." <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, we're blowing it. DualSense marks a radical departure from our previous controller offerings and captures just how strongly we feel about making a generational leap with PlayStation 5. That sentence alone, I think, is really interesting. Of just Yeah, that word radical, though. That's, well, that's yeah. a bit and, much. Do you think? I mean, I, I think it's a radical design for the PlayStation controller. It still has the touchpad. It still has the four yeah, buttons. Yeah, it's got all the things you want out of a controller. Right? It's just like the, the shell of it is, is notably yeah. different. I feel like it feels more different than the leap to three, than three to four. Yes. But I think, like in the grand scale of things, it's not. I think the 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 DualShock Four having the touchpad and the share button specifically instead of a select thing, which you know eventually like the touchpad became the select button. Yeah, I think that felt like a bigger departure at the time. You know, not knowing that it wasn't really going to be used, especially like I the think touchpad. you're discounting the I mean, color. This doesn't have any new functionality. That's uh, right. I mean, well, th I mean, this is this is the problem I think with the way that they have rolled this out in just the simple blog post, and also saying, "Hey, we're not going to talk about this. What the hell this create button does?" Yeah, we all just kind of assume, okay, well, create is just going to mean create a screenshot or create a video or something. But if there's some larger integration in like first party games that allow you to create content or something like that that could be really interesting but they're just they're but not talking about anything be like all that. software well hang on kyle you're forgetting with, i mean hardware the core of it is the haptic feedback throughout the controller i mean that's why it's called the dual sense i mean that yeah hopeful feeling of oh you'll feel the the twing of a bow that, and you'll me, feel the like, rumble of the cars functionality i, I know, think that we're getting into semantics a little bit here but that doesn't change the way you interact with a game via controller like radical to me is the wii remote that changed the way you interact right. with a game this will not change the way I, I can still play PlayStation 4 games with that control and it'll be exactly the same. Yeah, I think it's interesting more so just talking about how, you know, so many people are being like, what's the difference? You look at like Xbox's strategy, you know, I think they're they're nailing it messaging so far. At the same time, it is that feeling of, well, how much of a leap is it really going to be? And so it's interesting for PlayStation to, with one of their first real messages about PlayStation 5 to say that like, oh, it's going to be a generational leap. It's going to be radical with the PlayStation 5. He says the new controller along with the many innovative features in PlayStation 5 will be transformative for games. There you go. Mr. Ryan said it, huh? Continuing our mission at PlayStation to push the boundaries of play now and in the future. To the PlayStation community, I truly want to thank you for sharing this exciting journey with us as we head towards PlayStation 5's launch in holiday 2020. Ooh. We look forward to sharing more information about PlayStation 5, including the console design, in the coming months. Months. So that, to me, is, again, a reminder that, yeah, maybe, maybe after Tsushima? Yeah. yeah. It could be that long. 
I do want to be clear that like I, I feel like I'm coming off as a pessimist. I actually I do like the controller. I okay. think it's cool. And I think we kind of move past the microphone. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. Like me and Jeff and we're just trying to play Warzone, like what, two weeks ago? Supposedly. Yeah. I, I we it's a secret. But I, I couldn't find a microphone. Like I couldn't find a headset. And so we're just like, oh screw it. I'll just play without a mic. Where that sucks. in that instance, like with that controller, I would at least have something. It's better than nothing. You okay, know what I mean? Yeah. And like convenience is important, you know? Like yeah. and that well, and I think people will use it just through convenience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're also gonna get, gonna get a lot of those ambient noises where someone's not really interacting with you, but it's like it just happens to pick up their house, so it's just like them talking <laughs> to someone else, or it's like their kid in the background or whatever. The dog's barking. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's the best part of online gaming, obviously. So they're really leaning mm -hmm. into that. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know if you all listened to it, but IGN had a really great interview with Phil Spencer uh, on uh, IGN Unlock, their podcast. Kyle, did you listen to that by chance? No, I haven't. I'll check it out. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's very good. And so um, it was one of those where Ryan McCaffrey asked like exactly the correct questions. And it's just a bizarre timing, I think, for Phil Spencer to give an hour-long interview about Next Gen. He does such a good job of like, well, I can't reveal too much, but just like, here's where we're at right now. And in that interview, he also reconfirmed, just like Jim Ryan did, that like, yeah, we're going for this year. Like, don't think the coronavirus is completely effing us at this point. But Phil Spencer is like, you know, health comes first, health of our employees. So we're keeping an eye on it. But right now we're still full steam ahead. And he actually addressed the interesting question of talking about, uh, you know, manufacturing in China. And he's like, you know, it seems to be booting back up. So we're, we don't have any signs to be worried about on that aspect. When it comes to software, you know, maybe there's another deal. And so uh, That's cool. IGN even asked him about, you know, how much those software delays because it's tough to develop games from home could impact um, the release. And he's like, well, if one game isn't ready, I don't think that we'd hold the release of the entire console. He seemed to be more open to the idea of saying like, Even okay. Even if that game is Halo? I don't know. Yeah, that's what he's asking yeah. about. It's like, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, but then he, it's interesting because uh, Ryan McCaffrey also asked him about like Forza and like, okay, there's going to be a new Forza at this launch and what's your plan for uh, releasing games throughout launch? And Phil Spencer is addressing it in an interesting way. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but he's like, He's like, you know, I think having a bunch of games at launch is less important than having like a concrete roadmap, especially with Game Pass. Like why overwhelm people if you just say, hey, yeah. buy this console and then, hey, maybe Forza will come a month later. He didn't say that, but that seemed to be what I was reading into it is just like those big first party games might be at more of a constant clip because of that different, you know, a system I mean, of delivering it. Man, history shows that like having a million genres at launch is nothing compared to having one really good game. Yeah. You know, like, like Halo Infinite, it, hopefully. Like Apple Arcade, you know, or something like that, if you want to consider that like a platform launch or Oculus, you yeah. know, like compare that to the launch, like Xbox One with Halo or something like that. It's like having like fewer, better software is, is way better for you in the long run. Yeah. yeah. And, al and also, I, I think depending on what Sony does, whether like how uh, compatible or not, uh, PS4 games will be on PS5, even just having like, uh, being able to say like, hey, Cyberpunk will run at higher resolutions at a, at a better frame rate on our console during the holidays. I think that could be a bigger thing that people are are thinking right now, even though it will be available yeah. on Xbox One X, but just saying like, hey, if you don't want to bother with a PC, get an Xbox Series X and you will have the best version of Cyberpunk available. Yeah. Um, especially if like the PS5 can't run Cyberpunk for, you know, compatibility reasons or you have to get a different version. I think having that streamlined version of like, just buy this and you'll have, you know, you'll like cyberpunk is effectively a better game on our, on our hardware. I, I love that idea, especially like word of mouth. But if you don't have that marketing deal with CD project red and your Microsoft, how do you message that? 
Uh, I think you just make an ad where you just say like, "Hey, our new Forza, our new like whatever games we have, you know, they they all run better." And you just need to include like a thing of like Cyberpunk, you know. Can you do that? I, I, maybe I'm naive. If they don't have that marketing deal, would they ever promote it like that? I guess. I, so. I mean, I don't yeah. Think a problem with I, that I don't think there's now. any crazy thing preventing them from doing, it, especially if it's part of a larger ad where it's like, "Hey, you, like if they they can say like, "Hey, run it. You can run it at 4K, 60 FPS," and they show like. Forza, Cyberpunk, and like Halo or or whatever. Yeah. Like having just having that thing of like any game you buy this holiday season will run better on Series X. If if the PlayStation Five can't promise that, I think that's um that that could be the angle that they lean on. Yeah. So uh, also at that in that IGN Unlocked podcast, we should definitely check out. But um, there is a quick beat talking about the initiative, which is the Santa Monica studio, the new one that's being built up by Daryl Gallagher, who used to be at uh. Crystal Dynamics, um, and you know Phil Spencer had that cryptic tweet where he's like, they're working on a lot of new and some old things, and so people are thinking it's some old IP that they're bringing back. But we talked about before on the podcast, rooting for Perfect Dark. But it's interesting, he's talking about the studio overall, and Phil Spencer's like, yeah, you know, the initiative, they're doing things in a different way, uh, and they want to share the way that they're doing things differently with the industry soon. So like, I don't know if that's just development strategies or just team structure or like what that could possibly are mean. making an engine? Like, this is the engine to use to build Xbox games or something? That could be interesting. That could be interesting. I don't know. Uh, A lot of questions. Also on uh, console news, did you see uh, recently Stadia said, hey, we're now open to everybody. It's no longer the the huge, uh, you know, the huge package in order to stream these games. It's now, Kyle, did you look into this deal? Yeah, it, it happened in our region yet, at least for me. Yeah. So... By the way, if you, which I, I like sprinted, I went and got the app. I went to go sign into the site. Like it's, it, you're listening to this a day removed, so it, maybe it'll be fine. But like, you might just have to wait until that option becomes available. Cause right now it's not for us. Okay. But like you, yeah, but, but like, I'm definitely going to sign up. You get, I think you get three free months of pro. I believe it's two months of pro. And two? with that, you okay. get grid, uh, destiny two and, and thumper for free. Yeah. If you just remember to cancel is, them later on, it's pretty good. Which is great for testing. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. That's like all, because I just want to try it, you know? So, like, if I can play, and Thumper is like a good game to test it too, because that's a rhythm game. Yeah. You know? It's also a good game. Don't listen to what Jeff Cork has to say. <laughs> yeah, it's intense. It's fun. But uh, uh, I, 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 like, everyone's kind of like, like, ah, Stadia is a failure. They're trying to, like, release it. And I, I don't really buy into that because it's like, this was the plan long term and they definitely you know? spin it in that post about like you know the world needs more games we're here to help it's a, it's a down period but it's like yeah they're gonna release in 2020 anyway probably around this window so i wonder if this was always the yeah. plan and now they just spin the messaging of it out of the gate yeah but i mean i'm I'm excited honestly like i'm excited to try it out and have that version you know i want to play pc games on my mac sitting in bed and stuff so i can't <laughs> wait well, it's time to be alive. Uh, so in that blog post, they say uh, as well what everybody's thinking. With increased demand due to more people at home during this time, we're taking a responsible approach to internet traffic. For Stadia, we've always adjusted bandwidth use based on a variety of in-home and local internet factors. To reduce load time on the internet further, we're working towards a temporary feature that changes the default screen resolution from 4K to 1080p. So it's like it's weird oh. when, you know, in Europe, they're what? throttling uh playstation download speeds and then also i think youtube does a default to 480 in in europe but like when so many people are scaling back on that it's interesting for stadia within google to be like 
It's still going to be look badass, just, you know, from 4K to 1080, everybody. I'm, I'm sure the Google, Google Stadia stampede is just going to rock the internet in the next couple of days. I mean, you can play Doom Eternal on there if you don't have a console. You know, there's some people out there that this might be the right option for, but we'll see. Uh, but I'm excited to see how it, how it ends up there. Um, let's get to it. Let's get to oh, it. Round the of applause. Final Fantasy VII remake is <laughs> here, everybody. So, uh, how much? Uh, how often have you uh, cried? I was talking to Jeff and the great Cody. Right? That was my first question, yeah. Kyle. <laughs> no tears down the cheeks, but there is a moment uh, which does not seem like much. There's a moment when just like the battle theme kicked in, where tears welled in my eyes because it was just like <laughs> that. On top of just like the first hour and a half, maybe two hours or so, it's just like. Oh my God. Oh, it's just me going, this is absurd. This is unbelievable is the word where I keep coming back to. And then like just having that battle theme kick in, it was just like, this is it. This is, and it's so silly. So again, all, all, uh, greens of salt being swallowed. I'm only like six hours in. And so it could go off the rails. I don't know. I have tried to limit myself. I have not watched uh the trailers that square enix has released because apparently those are filled with spoilers i've only read jojuba from game informers review i haven't read any other reviews out there um but i even think even if it goes off the rails after this in just the worst possible way like nothing can take away those first six hours for me which it is so silly and i know this is the point of a remake but it really just felt like yeah i have the exact feelings that i have not felt so strongly since i was a kid playing this for the first time and that's that's all you want from a remake, right? Is just to be swept back through this time machine. Yeah, and and that's what I was kind of saying yesterday. That having not played that, like I could I could never get those kind of feelings or know what what Final Fantasy VII fans would know replaying this if right. I had just gone back and replayed the old game because it would just look like garbage and it would probably play like garbage and I just wouldn't I I wouldn't be able to understand that. But I feel like I'm getting the the kind of nostalgic version that's in everyone's minds, I get to kind of experience that new alongside with them. And right. That's, that's why I'm excited about this. Except for like there's fun twists in there too. Like even during the stream, like the music is just melting my soul because the soundtrack in that game, believe it or not, is unbelievable. Um, and then someone in the chat's like, what's with this song? It sounds like Lord of the Rings. I was like, Lord, it sounds like Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. It's like this orgasmic version of VII soundtrack, you maniac. So there's still going to be that disconnect, I think, for a lot of first-timers yeah. out there. But uh, Gabriel Loke uh, wrote in and says, hey, as somebody who's never touched the Final Fantasy series, let alone Final Fantasy VII, do you think I should play the VII remake? Uh, I think it'd, it'd be a pretty good place to start. I mean, if you don't mind action RPGs, uh, you don't mind some Japanese RPG tendencies in there like some of the dialogue might be like oh, i don't know about this some of the voice acting might be like oh, i don't know about this every once in a while um i think you'll have a good time with it gabriel plus like if you're just a fan of video games and especially video game video game development like i think from what i've played so far it's like i think this is like the best produced game i've ever played in my life it just mm. drips with money and effort even just like <laughs> the stupid things like the mini games where you're playing darts and stuff like the finishing shot jeff i saw in the stream yesterday it's just like this absurd finale for even the dart mini game where it's like is there anything you didn't spend millions of dollars on here square it is bonkers how smooth it is and i'm playing it on a playstation 4 as well and it's just like butter it is amazing so run yeah. don't walk everybody surreal uh what's your what's your hype level for final fantasy 7 right now uh, i do want to play it especially since like it's like kind of the capper for a bunch of releases recently yeah um and there's 
really, really, especially now, really not much until like maybe Ghost of Tsushima, assuming that doesn't get delayed. Um, but I, I, I've heard really good things about the battle system, about how it's like genuinely novel and, and it has like an interesting mix of like uh, the at, like the ATB bar and being able to control all of your different party members. I think that stuff is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I've heard some things about how it kind of tweaks the original storyline, which I'm kind of curious to see. Uh, but I'm curious because you, know, you haven't played or finished Final Fantasy VII originally, right? Yeah, I've I've I played maybe an hour of like the original PC version. Oh wow! At like a cousin's house and just did not really rock it at all. It just felt like we like uh, it, it, it's not some it's not like an experience that I remember too much, but I remember doing it. Yeah. So I've never played the game too much, but I'm curious to see how uh, this game compares to the plotline of the original, especially since. It does feel like, I mean, they mentioned in some of their marketing materials that, you know, Sephiroth does appear a little bit earlier. Um, well, that's, I mean, that just six hours in, there's a lot of like, hmm, hmm, nothing earth shattering at this point, but it's a lot of like, okay, they slid that up, slid that up. It's basically, you know, they're taking some things that are going on later in Final Seven and kind of incorporating them earlier. There's one like lore change where I'm like, oh, I'm not crazy about that so far. But from the vibe of the internet, it seems like, they do make some changes later on, which I'm still in the dark about, and I'm very curious about. I saw some people being like, they kingdom hearts it up. I don't know what that means yet. Uh, in my mind, that means... Um, Yuki just, shows up? Yeah, that's right. No, just like excruciating uh, cutscenes. And I've, now, I, I've enjoyed that time so means far. I, is, uh, it makes convolution was like a word that I yeah. read in a couple of reviews. I think they're, it might be a matter of overcomplicating because that's, that's kingdom hearts, man. It's, yeah way too complicated for its own good you know yeah. right I mean, I, so that's a fear but in terms of plot though i think maybe my my chief concern is that like because they do feel the the need to like uh make sure that it, it is a 40-hour game out of like a uh not like a huge section of final fantasy 7 um i guess my concern would be that like they need to they need the field to like oh here's this incidental thing that was just in final fantasy 7 let's dive into the backstory of that for an hour and a half and say like hey you know that this was because of this and then this and, and just just have like a, a convoluted storyline over a thing that it maybe isn't super integral. To yeah, the that could be. I, I haven't. Just, uh, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Like from my perspective, it just lets you soak in those environments so much more, and just silly things like you know the members of Avalanche that are in the original game, and like oh, I love those characters in the original game, but there's really not much going on here. And now getting to know them a little bit better, maybe for some new players, it'd be like this is too much time spent with these folks. But for me, it's just like oh my god, like the detail that they go into on these characters is just. It is, it's wonderful, um, and I'm curious to see what that split is like. And again, we'll go really deep into it. I'd argue the deepest into it with the deepest dive game club and stuff and get specific on exactly what we're talking about here. But um, downside so far is uh, chapter three, there's some side quests, and I think maybe the side quests later on are also kind of not great, but like the chapter three side quests are literally like, literally go kill four rats. I was like, if you're designing an RPG, know. everybody, like, you got to know not to do that. Um, and some are more interesting than others, but they don't seem great from what I played. That's like the low point, but it's still, it dropped from tears in my eyes to like, this is fine, you know, during that <laughs> section. Um, and so you can skip those if if you'd like to, because some of those are a little bit, a little lame around the sides. Um, but yeah, that's it. And also I want to know the full voice cast. Because there's some characters in the room like, that sounds like a certain somebody, but I can't bring up the credits from the main menu. So I guess I'll have to wait and find out. IMDb. I'm kind of scared of spoilers, though, oh, which sorry. is weird to say, but I don't know what's going to be on there. I'm scared something might pop up. Um, Goofy. 
What's that? Yeah. Goofy. Yeah, yeah, goofy voices. Yuffie. It's a it's a complete mess. Um, But yeah, it's incredible. So again, the deepest dive is going to be next week and it's going to be the best, most thorough discussion about the game on the internet. We promise. And so get ready for that, everybody. You can support us on Patreon if you want to leave a comment for us to read. Um, But I was thinking about it, like between Resident Evil 3, Final Fantasy 7, and Half-Life Alex, it's like, what a what a satisfying time to be a nostalgic gamer. It just seems like so uh, many... You can throw Black Mesa in there, too. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It just feels like the industry during this period is just feeding... Out of ideas. <laughs> or I'd argue just feeding fans delicious ice cream. Of like, remember your childhood? I, loved, remember I, your I had childhood? that thought, too. I was like, finished Resident Evil 3 and went back to Black Mesa, and I'm excited for Final Fantasy. It's like, oh, it's weird that the main games I'm playing right now are all really well-done remakes of classic yeah. games. What would you think about Resident Evil 3 after finishing it? Uh, I liked it a lot. I, 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 I de- it definitely feels, uh, it got more and more on rails kind of as you go along. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of liked it for that reason. Like I, I just liked the, cause I, I, someone referred to it as like a, a roller coaster where Resident Evil 2 is like a haunted house. Like they're both like amusement park things. Yeah. Which I like. I, but I think people are still overdoing that. that. It's like, not. It, it felt like you were just kind of going along this fun roller coaster. And I like the, I like the bosses. I like fighting Nemesis a lot, like in the arena and stuff like that, I guess you could call it. Right. Um, but yeah, I had a good time with it. Oh, good. And then High Five Alex, without spoiling anything there, both you and Sir, you'll finish that? Yeah, I giggled loudly uh, during the credits of the game. Oh, good. Yeah, there is. there were multiple moments where I was like, multiple layers of realization of like, oh, and then I just had to pause and just like, Jesus. <laughs> like, the things they're doing with this ending. The uh, weight of like, thir- was it 13 years? Yeah. Of yeah. waiting? like all culminates in I, I would say the last 30 minutes and that's it's just fantastic. like you hands down just totally focused on every single word that is being spoken because yeah. you're like this is all i'm going to get for a decade so yeah. like it's also and it's, it was it's great oh, i yeah. love so the end of that game so much yeah there's also like overall as, a, as like a game i think there are i i've had some of my favorites and kind of least favorite moments in gaming in that and like that's it, it, it simultaneously to me makes the strongest argument and strongest arguments against in certain points for VR. Like there's like towards the end, there's a sequence that I feel is like the thing that you need to experience in VR and a sequence that I don't think you, that has like really any power outside of it being a VR section that I think is amazing. Made like one of the best sequences in a game ever. Uh, but there are also like really frustrating points that have to do with like the tech involved with VR. Yeah. Uh, that kind of get in the way sometimes. But beyond like I'm as in terms of this being a Half-Life game in in a VR platform, I'm like pretty like I'm really happy with it. Nice. And uh, if you want to learn specifics about that, we're going to be recording a Mac spoilers right between you two talking all about uh, specifics of all this stuff at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm excited. It's I'm eager to to talk in depth about cool. that so it'll be even, on like all like this right now is the most i think that him and i have said to each other about the end oh good know? yeah so perfect yeah. it'll be a fun conversation on our youtube channel and then in the patreon exclusive feed um hey jeff um, what have you been doing this last week man uh i played some pillars of eternity too oh on console the obsidian crpg yeah yeah it's it came to console a while ago um it I totally understand why everyone loves it. And if you are into, you know, kind of those old school CRPGs, you should totally check it out. It it plays perfectly fine on console. Um, it is weird. And it, it reminded me of a letter that we got from readers a while ago about juggling between two very different games because I, I was playing this and Doom Eternal at the oh, same no. time. And they could not be any more different than one another. But 
uh, it, and I also feel like I, I, I have only scratched the surface with the hours that I've played, but, um, one big impression is they, they kind of made a big deal about they, they added a, uh, turn-based mode into it. You can now play through the entire game as a turn-based game, as opposed to kind of the real-time pause and continue kind you know for strategizing the different games and i i tried that initially because i do prefer turn-based games but after like the first hour i just reset and started again as the new one it it does change a lot of things and they you can tell they put a lot of effort into making it work as a turn-based game but it it slows things down so much and it just it it does not feel as well to have because you can have like 10 different you know, enemies and and your party all fighting in one match and to kind of go through their moves one at a time versus everyone acts at the same time and then they're based, you know, they can act again based on the cooldown timers. It it has a very different feeling, but not in a way that I actually enjoyed. So hmm. I would recommend doing the the real-time normal version of it, but the, this has, the console version has added new content. They They kind of have a whole piratey thing going on now and did you play pillars was, one at all huh did you play pillars one at all a little bit yeah okay a, yeah um but yeah and then it's just you know the reason that people love these games is just the sheer amount of depth to it and storytelling and you you pick you can kind of mix and match your different classes you can kind of meld two classes together and it's just the amount of different abilities and things that you can lo- unlock is just incredible so if if these kind of games have ever interested you and if you have a bunch of free time which we all know that you do at this point because we're all stuck at home yeah then it's then it's one to uh check out nice anything else you've been playing i've been playing a bunch of tabletop games with the wife oh do you each like uh, multiply yourselves and have different personalities for these different people around the table no we we've been playing (laughs) We've been playing one-on-one games, uh, you know, games that are good for two players. Uh, and I have two recommendations if people want them. Please. And I have them here because I'm sitting next to the pile of games that I had for them. Ooh. So this is one. Uh, it's called Lost Cities. This is kind of a classic um, card game that's very simple. And I, and it's it has proven just to be an excellent filler when... You know, you don't want to play something that's too mentally strenuous, but basically you're you're building out rows of cards that will score you points uh, at the end of the game, but each row that you choose to start counts as negative points against you until you reach a certain threshold of points of, with different numbered cards. And so it, it's this very interesting back and forth and the the other person can get the cards that you did that you discard if you don't want them so it's this very tense decision of am i going to start another row can i get it up to the point that i need that it will score me lots of points or is it going to count against me uh my my wife and i had a lot of fun going back and forth on that one and we have kind of i think we're even at this point of who has one versus the other um but it's it's a cheap one, and it's it. I can't imagine a a pair of players that it wouldn't go well for. You don't you don't have to be huge into board games, but even if you are huge into board games and you 
games, there's still a place for it if you're looking for something. Lost Cities is the name of that one? Yeah. Sweet. And the other one, Hanson, this one's right up your alley. Are you kidding me? Raptor, yes. This is another two-player strategy game, um, but it's very asymmetric in terms of the what you are doing versus your opponent, Weird. where one person controls a bunch of scientists that you're moving around on the board, and the other person controls a mama raptor and five baby raptors. Shut up. Uh, and so the the <laughs> exactly the scientist has to either uh, capture three baby raptors or put the mother to sleep. And and the mother raptor has to either get three of their babies to escape or just eat all of the scientists because that's how that goes. Uh, but basically, what's interesting about that one is that you you have a very small deck of cards. You have nine cards. Each of them is numbered one through nine, and each of them has an ability on it. Uh, and the the abilities are different for your team versus the other team. And basically, each turn you're going to both pick one and play it at the same time. And the person with the lower number gets to do their ability, but the person with the higher number gets a bunch of action points that lets you move around and kind of capture or, you know, play against the other person. But the, the number of action points that you get is your number minus the other person's number. So when you're trying to pick your card, you're trying to, you're trying to either maximize that spread so that you have a bunch of points to do, or you're trying to minimize it so that you can still get your action done and you're not giving the other person a lot of points. This sounds very good. Is it as good as it seems? Yeah, and we should we should totally once we once we can actually get in a room together as humans, we should do this yeah. one night as one of our game night ones. It's it's pretty aggressive and so if if you and your you know friend or significant other don't like games where you're eating the other person's players, you know, uh it it may not be the best pick for you, but yeah. uh, my wife and I had a lot of fun with that one. How too. do you find these? Uh, obsessively watch board game videos and follow board game websites. Oh, very helpful. That's yeah. nice. Uh, cool. I will definitely check that out. Um, you will. Hey, for now, uh, let's try something a little bit surprising. Um, do the three of you want to clap out? Sure. sure. Hey. Look at this. We have Griffin Newman from the Blank Check Podcast. Hello. Not to be outdone by that hack David Sims last week. You insisted on being uh, on. He's such a hack. I did. I forced my way in here. Um, you know, it, it, what? First is the worst. Second is the best. I think and that's then, how it uh, works. Yeah. And, and then producer Ben will be the third of our group on this show, and he is objectively the best. He actually <laughs> makes both of us look dumb. So, Does he play a lot of games? I don't think I've heard him talk too much about games. You know, I mean, he might be an interesting guest to get on because he was out of video games for a very long time, and he bought a Switch a couple months ago in an Ooh. attempt to uh, quit smoking. And he says it's been working. Interesting. He felt like he needed a new addictive habit. So he went from cigarettes to vapes. Then the health dangers of vapes became public. Then he went backwards from vaping to cigarettes again. Uh-huh. And then he bought a Switch, and that's become the new thing. Now it's just Stardew Valley on Switch. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, yeah. So Blank Check, one of my favorite uh, podcasts out there. It's a film podcast. You can check it out if this is your first time hearing about it. Um, uh, Griffin Newman, also Orko from Masters of the Universe. You're going to be doing that voice coming up. That's a weird thing. And then also uh, Arthur from The Tick on Amazon, which I know is a a sore subject for you, but uh, some some awesome things. 
Not a sore subject. Sore, sore subject that it got canceled. Yes. Uh, very positive subject. Tender subject? What's the opposite of a sore subject? Very tender. It's a tender subject that I got to do it. And I will say, it does still exist online. There are 22 episodes for people who are stuck at home and haven't watched it yet. Fantastic. Uh, I'm very proud of that show. Uh, and you're here because you are desperate. Just Randy, ready to go to rank the Lego games. At, at any time, I'll take any opportunity to talk Lego games. I'm constantly looking for outlets. Most times I try to start this conversation, I'm physically removed from that space. <laughs> uh, right. well, so somebody... I'm, I'm happy to be able to do this digitally where you don't have access to my home. Uh, and also, I'm, I'm actually uh, welcomed with these opinions. Absolutely. And you're not alone. We're also joined by Graham Goring. Welcome, Graham. Hello. Hello. And Graham, uh, you are an expert on Lego video games. And why would that be? <laughs> well, okay, I think expert is overstating it. I used to make them for a living, and I, I, I wrote the scripts for a bunch of them. But I was I was a terrible worker. Like like Yamena actually, you know, play the game so you understand them better. And I'd be like, oh, f that. I'm just writing the writing. Can we swear by the way? Yeah, go for it. You're fine. You're uh, fine. Okay, go. So on. you you were the writer for <laughs> so, yeah. No, yeah. I, I used to make them for about eight years. Eight years. So you wrote Lego City Undercover. Yeah. Lego Force Awakens. Um, yeah. Lego Jurassic World. Uh, yeah. Okay. What are some other hits from you? Let's uh, uh, well, we do the Lego Dimensions. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, various bits of that. And I feel like there's oh there's 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 probably like a Ninjago one in there somewhere. I'm looking like, at your IMDb. It says you did the Ninjago movie game and also the first yes. Lego movie game. Are both of those that was it. Yes, Okay. That, that is, but they are correct. Yes. That's cool. perfect. And then you also wrote for Planet Zoo that came out last year, and now you're making your own game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been making this game for so long. <laughs> yeah, I'm making my own game, and I, I can't wait for it to, to to look better than it does, and um and and play properly. Do you have a name for this thing? It's it's called Phantom Island, but it turns out that's also the series of young adult <laughs> books. So I'm going to have to change the bloody name now, which is uh, vexing because because I totally had dibs on it because I've been making this game for so bloody long. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but people can find it on your Twitter account. You're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you probably have to search. I should probably, you know, I'll make sure I'll pick up a picture for when this comes out. Then, then that makes sense. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay. All right. Well, we'll plug that at the end. We'll get back to it here. You said, just for the full sure. connection here, because you two don't know each other, correct? No, I'm pretty starstruck no. right now. I do have to admit. Oh, fantastic. There's so <laughs> much never to before. We've never interacted before. You're like a proper star. I'm, no, I'm, no. <laughs> Once again, show was canceled. Show was very canceled. You wrote eight <laughs> Lego <laughs> games. I only got they two seasons. That is true. Eventually, 20, that's twenty-two episodes. That's like twenty-two. I mean, given how long we spend making them, I mean, that's. I mean, you've effectively you've made like seventeen Lego games because we we churn those f***ers out. <laughs> <laughs> Very easy to make, right? They each take like a week. Yeah, yeah, basically, and the rest of the time we just got our thumb up our asses. That is not true. I feel like Graham, I should apologize that... to my old employees. Graham, I may you... need to go back to them if this whole indie dev thing doesn't work out. I get it, man. You said at some point that you worked with Peter Serfinowitz, who is the tick? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, he worked on several of them, right? I know he was on Undercover. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, Undercover and was, you, didn't, you didn't work on Lego Marvel superheroes too, right? No, no. Because he's the no, main no, villain no, in oh, that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yes. Yeah, so, so was... I, but I imagine he, he joined because he enjoyed the experience working with me. Yes. And then they suckered him in to one of the, yeah. the other company's project. I say the other company because TT's kind of split into two. There's like TT Not Fusion it. and there's TT Games. And it's like the whole Infinity Ward Treyarch thing. Do you remember when everyone would be like, yay, it's Infinity Ward, or boo, it's Treyarch? 
yeah. with the Call of Duties. Uh, well, so Lego's like that, except both companies think the other one is Treyarch. That's how it works. Wow. I am I am all the way here for this gossip. Because I've never been able to find this kind of info, but I'm, I'm so very professional. Yeah, my um, NDA doesn't cover this. No, it was it, you know because like uh, Sir Finowich has been in so many things that people love. He has such like a diverse yeah. career, and it's touched into yeah. so many different fandoms because he's been part of like. Star Wars and the MCU and all these different corners of animation and the Edgar Wright stuff and all of that. And th it was just always the thing I asked him the most questions about was the Lego games. And he would be like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> like on downtime. Because I also knew he played them. And his son yeah. was really into Lego. And he's like, yeah, I know about all this because my son's into it. But my son is one-fourth of your age. Why are you? <laughs> isn't he also but like, they were... isn't he super into Dark Souls too? He's like oh a hardcore God, gamer. Yeah. He's like a really, really hardcore gamer. He plays very, very seriously. And he was always trying to get me to play games with him. And especially when I'm working, and especially at a time like The Tick when I was working a lot, I was very lucky to be a very busy. The Lego games are my ultimate unwind thing. I find that I really go to them mostly when I'm busy or a time like this when I'm trying to keep my mind busy. Yeah. But they're they're the perfect level of uh, stimulation and relaxation. It has to like go back to probably the first Star Wars game then, right? Like that's really what roped you in? Or is it the movie connection specifically that you're attracted to here? Um, you know, yes. I do think the entry point was probably the movie thing. That it, that it was like, these are movie games. And I'm trying to think when I got in because um, what the first two Star Wars games came out for PS2. Yeah, uh, I did not start playing them until PS3, at which point they reissued the first two Star Wars games as one disc. It was the complete saga. But I feel like it was, um, what year would it have been? 2010, uh, I got mono. I don't want to brag, but I got <laughs> mono from kissing a male friend during an improv scene. Uh, <laughs> so then I spent uh, several months, I had to move back in with my parents, and uh, I spent several months in bed, and then that's when I really got into the Lego games. I feel like it was around that time. Maybe Lego Batman was the entry point for me, mm -hmm. uh, but it was Lego Batman, Lego Star Wars, Lego Indiana Jones. The first of each of those were the three I got into all around the same time. Maybe one of them I played pre-mono. But I do think it was that thing of, like, at that time still, proportionately, most tie-in games were really bad. Especially movie tie-in games were kind of, like, at their tail end before they pretty much got killed off. Yeah. And it was, like, they had already been out for a little while, and I kept on hearing that they were good. And I was like, really? Those things are good? Like, I'm not a, I, in theory, I should be on board. I like Batman. I like Lego. I like Star Wars. But it just felt so odd to me. And that when I finally got to the pool, I was like, this is what I want tie-in games to be, A, in terms of, like, the balance of reverence to the intellectual property while also being able to take the piss out of it a little bit, uh, which felt kind of revolutionary at the time. And I have a whole theory on how that impacted the rest of media for the next 10 years. 
But then also it's like they felt like these are the kind of the classic platformers that I want to play that feel rarer and rarer to find these days. Yeah, where they all have puzzles in it, but uh, a developer once called them nuzzles to me of not a puzzle. It's just, you know, not puzzles. It's just two things you kind of have to put together that slow you down a little bit, you know? But that, that is exactly what I want. Yeah. I want that sort of variation of gameplay. None of it's too challenging. I don't feel like a moron, you know, <laughs> like where I'm like, why can't I figure this out? I'm like, everything is just taxing me enough. Yeah. Graham, that's what you're going for is just uh, people who love the film industry that are uh, stuck in bed with mono. That's the ideal target for the games you're making. <laughs> that and, and beleaguered parents, I would say. Yeah, really. okay. it's uh, Smart. Because they, they always get roped in to help. I mean, I'll, I've got a kid. He's only two at the moment. And. You know, at some point, I'm going to be playing through all the old Lego games with him. Yeah, which is yeah, nice. Oh, it's going to be surreal. Uh, so, is Lego City Undercover the the crowning port of your uh, game development career, or what would you say is the? Yeah, the and it's really it, it's really annoying that it was like the first one. Um, <laughs> it was just like because <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it was the it was the only one where I had like complete freedom, pretty much, because there was no IP attached to it. And though it's you know amazing to do like a Star Wars game. It's it you know you're still there's certain constraints you can't you can't go completely bash with it. Yeah, but you're able to like slip in some weird jokes. I'm trying to remember there was like Wookie cookies. Like you slipped Wookie in a lot cookies, of yeah. weird stuff into Star Wars lore with Force Awakens there. Yeah, it's weird because I don't know whether it's like proper. Like I don't think it is canon. But some people saying, well, maybe it is. But I, I, I don't know. It's it, it is. It was amazing that I got to you know like name characters, and it's just a case of just mash a keyboard and say that looks kind of like a name. Um, <laughs> Star and, Wars. Yeah, we get it. Well, that do. <laughs> um, so that's really awesome. Just playing all of those different IPs is really really cool. But um, but yeah, yeah. Sitting undercover, that was it was just great because we had ages to make it as well. We had like three years to make it, which is crazy so was that just because to do... you weren't sort of tied into release schedules of things was that it, the main part i think it was, it was probably like we basically come up to release and then and then uh you know sort of nintendo were like well we'd like it on you know on on the wii u and we we're like can we have a wii u please um and and you know i think i think that's pretty much how it shook out because because yeah it, it was not ready to release and then we got an extra year and and then it was ready to release so that was handy um, but yeah, it was just also because we'd never done anything like that before. We'd never done like a free roaming big world. So there was loads of technological challenges that needed answering. So yeah, and it was yeah, hard. It I'm took, trying to remember. It was a lot of R&D. Yeah, it was like, I think the middle of the city you couldn't quite go to, but still everything around the side. But I still, I mean, obviously Portal 2, Hall of Fame, but I still think Lego City Undercover might be the funniest game I've ever played. I think it's still top of the pie. Wow. wow. I'm serious. Have you played that one, Griffin? I'm going to make my shameful confession Please. now. I just, in the last week... <laughs> got undercover and ninjago before we plan to do this podcast i got those two as like the two i hadn't played yet so i have them in my switch pile now and i'm just launching into them oh good oh good ninjago is like the one that i left halfway through so it's, okay it's, then it's i'll only like... play half of it i'll play half <laughs> yeah, of it like first half and then just f it off yeah good yeah. to know uh, yeah griffin what's your grand theory about the impact of these uh lego games well i okay so i think there's something interesting to these games being the sort of uh, beginning of like the the outsider insider treatment of these very holy IPs, huh? Um, because it, it used to be, I feel like Lego Star Wars, where there's the weird bridge from like Star Wars is the first licensed property that Lego does, 
which then leads to Lego's identity somewhat changing to being, you know, half depicting other things that people have created and half making their own stuff. Um, but Lego up until that point did not have that much of a, uh, a comedic voice, certainly. And I feel like when Lego would make TV shows or they would make video games, they would be kind of very earnest and very straightforward. And Lego Star Wars is kind of the first time where there's a Lego comedic sensibility, which is sort of treating things through the mind's eye of a child in a certain way. It's like you're doing the official Mad Magazine parody of the thing. Yeah. You know? So when you start in those early games, uh, like the first Batman and the first Star Wars and all of that, where there's no dialogue, all of that is just sort of done through pantomime, which I think gave them a lot of latitude because there was only so much they could kind of like not mock the thing, you know, but satirize the thing because a lot of it was just sort of physically deflating the pomposity of moments or the seriousness of moments. Like by having the dying. pieces fall apart. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Things like that. You could always throw on some physical humor or whatever. But as the games became more complex and added their own dialogue, and especially as they started getting legitimate people to voice those parts, it really becomes this thing where it's like, this is an official parody. This is like the one outlet where these big companies are allowing uh, another company to have creative free reign with the thing. It happens even before like the um, those robot chicken like Star Wars special start happening, which I feel like is like all of this is like the tightening of the George Lucas grasp on I will allow people to make fun fun of my thing and put the official stamp on it. Star Wars detours extends- and that nonsense. Totally. Yeah. And it extends to all these other uh, companies that also allow Disney and Warner Brothers and all these places. Um, and then the apex of it is the Lego movie, which I think wouldn't have a sensibility if not for the games. You know, as much as Lord Miller bringing their thing to it, I don't think that movie would know what it was. I don't think there would even be a starting point in terms of what the sense of humor of Lego was if the games hadn't already set that up to some degree. Um, And then that becomes, well, because Lego already is this property that has all these official licenses and they allow us to make fun of them, then why wouldn't they allow us to do that in the movie? So it felt sort of like uh, revolutionary in that movie when you suddenly have Batman as a proper character and it's a parody of Batman, but it's an official Batman coexisting with all these other characters. And now I feel like we're living in a landscape where that's happening all you know, where things like uh, the second Wreck-It Ralph movie, having all the Disney princesses in it, and being like, they all coexist, they're mocking what their own tropes are, we don't have to worry about whether this is canon with those movies or not, you know? And even to, like, a crazy degree, something like the Joker, I think, comes out of, like, the long tail result of these places being like, we don't have to treat every version Every depiction of these characters as the important canonical version. We can allow multiple Uh, versions to exist, and those versions can both be the sillier ones, the ones for kids, the ones that satirize, the ones that are funny, the ones that are more earnest, but also can allow you to do the weird R-rated, you know, Joker movie. I I think there's like, this is my grand unifying theory, that there's like like a 20-year tale that leads to these studios treating these big IPs as a little bit more of a public resource and a little bit less as like the Holy scripture. And it starts to become like, this is a play. And every time you stage a play, you get some authorship over it. You can put it in a new setting. Actors get their own interpretation of it. And I think the Lego games are the thing that kind of broke that. Yeah. And so Graham, wasn't, is it John Burton from TT games? Yeah. Was yeah, yeah. executive producer on the Lego movie? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, he's like a he's like a big Hollywood producer. It's it's weird because he's that, and he also has this this funny little YouTube channel where he, he goes about how he did coding on the Mega Drive and stuff like that. But <laughs> I think he'd be really chuffed with this theory that effectively he's like the the, the granddaddy of it all. I, I, I think I, would like that. What do you think of that, Graham? I don't, do you know what? It holds up. I mean, I can't poke holes in that. And it is, it is totally true that, you know, I think it was, you know, Lego were the first little plastic thing that got to kind of play with other people's IPs. And, you know, where you have this this this, this one thing. And, and, and I think it's, I, I do think that, you know, Lego might not even be around were it not for the Lego games now. Because yeah. I, th- I think I think they had a massive resurgence in popularity. It, it really worked out well for everyone. But, yeah, I... I I'm, I'm totally down with that because I can't think of anything from around 2000 that did the same thing. And now, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're happy to, to really s- splash their IPs around like mad. Well, yeah. it is like, A, the fact that, you know, ha- Lego has this unifying style, you know, that everything's yeah. adapted to the same scale with the same number of pieces is a thing that then like transmutes to uh, Funkos and all of these things where the idea is to have all these characters exist in sort of a uniform look. Uh, so that yeah. like becomes this great uh, equalizer between all of these properties, and then also there's the fact that like as you said, the when the games start, it was the moment when Lego was kind of on the verge of bankruptcy. So then the mm-hmm. games taking off allows Lego to take their cues as a company from the games, and I feel like everything then becomes reverse engineered, even in terms of how they marketed the toys and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then when they made their own original IP, when they start doing their own shows and everything again, it becomes like, this is now the house style. This is like the sensibility of what Lego is. Um, yeah. and, and it is like, as we were saying, the tie-in games were so bad at the time. And as such a big movie fan, I have often been such a bad gamer. Because outside of like classic sort of Nintendo platformers and the like, as a kid, the things I was drawn to was always, what are the games based off the movies I like? Mm-hmm. And people would tell me, like, those are usually the bad games. Like, that's not what you should be going for. And I was like, no, I want to play with the characters I like. Yeah. Like, that's what I look for. And even as I got older, it was still that impulse where I would, like, text my brother, who was a bigger gamer, and be like, is this one good? And he'd be like, no, none of the movie games are good. Um, but Lost World on PlayStation 1, like, that one must be great, right? Right, yeah. right. But those are, like, the first movie games that felt like they had some real creative freedom within them, you know, because the job wasn't, as we're saying, it wasn't like you have to be the perfect official game of this thing. Yeah. It became, yeah. you are a game of this thing. And that think, freedom really, changes everything. I think it really helps that, you know, obviously they didn't have to do day and date releases back then for those things. Yeah. They weren't tying it into a particular thing most yeah. of the time because day and date is what kills so many projects. Oh, well, like the Force Awakens game was, th- th- that came out a little after the movie, right? Six but I'm months, sure... About six months, yeah. Was but was time... that a nightmare trying to tie those two things together? No, because I think it came out with the like the the DVD release, so, okay. so that was handy. And also, it gave us, you know, and then the the people making the game could go and actually to the cinema and find out what half the things they were meant to be building looked like. <laughs> so, so that was handy. Yeah, yeah. I remember being at the studio for Game Informer when I was there. We went on a cover story trip and, and met Graham on that trip uh, for doing that game on the cover. And that was the crazy thing is somebody's like. I remember seeing these models in the game of like, okay, we had to make the ATAT, and it's like, okay, so Lucasfilm like sent you the art then. Like, no, we're just looking at that scene where it's like Hux giving his speech. You can kind of see like 12 pixels in the background that I guess is an ATAT, and that's what they had to design this complete interior off of. It was bonkers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's almost like the that old like uh, thing about uh, blind people touching different parts of an elephant and trying to figure out what it all looks like. Yeah. So what were you going yeah. off of, Graham? Like, was it just whispers of the script, or when you're writing that thing, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, like, I I, I still can't say due to NDA exactly what we got, um, but um, it was. Yeah, I mean, like they gave us easily enough. To, to make the game from my standpoint and the good thing was that we could always send the script over to to you know to lucas and they would say no that's wrong that's wrong that's right etc which was really really useful but um i had i had a way easier time than anyone because because all i needed to know was you know what happened in the movie as opposed to what things look exactly like so right. yeah i was um, i was i was lucky plus you know we had all these levels that were based on stuff that was you know other movies, um, these little side stories. So, you know, if, if people sort of were up against it, you could always do work on those until you could go to the cinema and find out what the hell things look like. Yeah, and uh, you don't have to reveal any secrets, but the early yeah. versions of The Force Awakens script that you got whispers of, was it pretty different mm -hmm. from the final one? Was there a lot of stuff in there where it's like, wait, Ray's vision is what now? Uh, no, no, not at all, really. Um, you know what, what you saw. I mean, I think there was like the snow speeder chase was the only thing that everyone knows about that went missing. Yeah, and like, and I think like the idea that um, uh, Uncle Pluck was going to meet um, them later on and, and get his arm ripped off. But that right, because that's still in the game, right? That's the one place that that remains in the story. Or am I misremembering that? Do you know what? It, it might be, because it may have been the case that it was in there, and we're like, well, it's kind of too late to take it out, and we've animated it and everything. I so. feel like Lego Chewbacca rips off Lego Uncar Plutt's arms I think you're in right. the game. I think you might. I feel like you might. At, at Maz's yeah. Cantina. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea of, yeah, like, right. the official parody of the thing, like Griffin was talking about, like, what are the limits that you found for that, Graham? Could you just, like, did you find the comedic limits of, of Star Wars within Star Wars? The, literally, the the only joke I think I had pushback on there was this one where you're um, there's a mission where you're trying to uh, um, save some um, some people who are in another ship who effectively are arms dealers and then uh, and I had a joke like when you save them go yeah now let's go and sell these weapons to propagate a war um, that's going to result in loads of death effectively and they were like no uh, and that was that was literally the only thing I got pushback on and everything else and then they were, they were Last forward. Jedi essentially makes that text. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, it comes Not as a joke, but there's yeah. the scene where they're like, by the way, you understand that this is all run by arms dealers, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, do you know what? They definitely stole that from me then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you deserve credit. Yeah. Griffin, when you're playing these Look, Lego I should, games. I should, I'll check the credits. There might be a in them. Yeah. yeah. When you're playing these Lego games, uh, do you want to write them yourselves? Like, what do you think about the writing overall? What stands out to you? Are you jealous? Are you happy? I, I do think about that. I mean, as I, I made the already, but it reminds me so much of uh, a mad magazine which i was so obsessive with as a, a kid and that sort of approach of um you know their movie parodies would come like six or eight months later uh because of the delays of publishing or what have you and um it would always be that sort of thing of like going scene by scene and trying to figure out what's the funniest thing to riff on in each scene you're not tackling a parody in like a mel brooks way where you're parodying the entire concept of the movie and changing all the characters. It was like you're changing each character name, and then each scene you're figuring out what's the funniest reversal that could happen here. And that game is always really fun to play. So even like something like Force Awakens, where like I saw it in theaters and then knew the game was going to come out in six months, I do feel like I was noodling in my head of like, what are they going to do with this? I think the thing I get most jealous of is like, 
when I play the ones like the Marvel game or the Batman games now, where they're not connected to a cinematic universe, so they can cast any actor in any of these parts, I'm like, what do I have to do to play one of 800 characters that you can unlock? I'm like, there's so many characters in these things. I understand I'm not going to make Star Wars because they're using the real actors. There has to be some, like, eighth tier oh, yeah. Legion of Superheroes character that I can voice in Lego form. Yeah, they cast... That's like, my real jealousy. I think Greg Miller was in Lego Batman 3. Like, if he's making yeah. the cut, Christ, door's open. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I would just say, pitch your day rate very low. And As far as I'm concerned, I don't have a day rate. I mean, I keep, <laughs> maybe my, my agent would disagree with this, but I feel like I'm always saying to them, like, can we find anything here? <laughs> Grant, with stuff like Lego Jurassic World, it's so fascinating. It's like, I love uh, Jurassic Park in particular, uh, but I guess the entire Jurassic series. And it's just that weird thing of like, when you're using clips from the movie, do you ever worry right. about it being too jarring then when you're writing your own dialogue? Because it's like, okay, especially when like some of that audio quality for some of the Jurassic stuff in the game was like a little rough. And it's like, yeah. and now here's a pristine <laughs> audio quality joke from a character on the side. Like it just, it, it makes that weird disconnect that's tough to avoid because you want to have fun. I, you know what the weird thing is with that one? I, I wasn't involved in the cutscenes at all because, like, the cut we had like this this really good cutscene department. And they basically just took the lead completely on that, and then I was just writing all the in-game stuff. Oh, so, wow. um, um, and, and yeah, the, the, yeah, the audio quality thing was a bit of a not ideal, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it didn't affect me. I just I just wrote my stuff and 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 trusted that that you know it would all kind of join up vaguely well. Yeah, yeah. When you look back on that project, what do you think of what stands out from from that one? Um, it was fun, you know, working with the actors doing the VO sessions was really nice, actually. Just, you know, it, it's always surprising when you work with, like, you know, A-listers and stuff like that, that, you know, a lot of them are gamers and they're, they're totally into it and, and really happy to do these this stuff. That's, that's always kind of surprising, getting to, you know, direct them occasionally when, you know, there were scheduling snafus, basically, was great. Yeah. Does it feel like, because I think a lot of people from the outside would be like, oh man, just to work with Star Wars or work with Jurassic World as a license for, I mean, how long would you spend on that? I mean, a year and a half? Uh, like, you know, yeah, a year and a half. Uh, okay, it's like, that seems like a dream, but does it just boil down to a job? And most of the time, you're not, you're just sitting at your desk typing jokes or trying to figure out a spreadsheet, right? You're not actually feel like you're soaking in the world of Jurassic Park? Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, to be honest with you, pretty much every single IP that we worked on, I was fairly well immersed in anyway. You know, yeah. there wasn't much that I had to familiarize myself with. So it was all, you know, no quantity. But yeah, it's it's kind of like, I, I wouldn't feel it was that I was doing anything particularly special, but literally two desks over, someone's like, sorry, you get to, you get to get, you know, go on a Skype call with, you know, Chris Pratt or, or one of the other actors. And they would be like, you're so lucky. But I was, you know, I was just worried about getting the damn dialogue in the game, to be honest writing something on a Monday and getting it recorded on a Friday was, you know, <laughs> please, please, please don't have too many f***-ups of the spelling. That's all I was hoping for. Yeah. Can, I, can I ask potentially a dumb question? Because I just don't know here, and I'm, I'm very curious to how this process works. How much of your job is writing the dialogue versus figuring out how to adapt the scenes from the thing into game form? For, for me, I don't have to do any of that adaption. Okay. That was the cutscene yeah. thing. They would do. They would do that. I would be. I would just be writing dialogue, writing jokes, coming up with enough background character lines, uh, and just you know, uh, barks and stuff like that. And then it's a case of 
effectively wrangling that dialogue into a spreadsheet, making sure that everything's correct and getting those documents over for the recording, making sure I can attend the recording so I can answer any questions they have, and then and then getting that, you know, pooping that data into the game, basically. That's it was it was a lot of technical stuff. And occasionally setting up camera rigs and stuff like that for cutscenes on some of the handheld versions of the games. Oh so wow. it was it was it was it was mostly technical. Um and and you know, and then writing dumb jokes. Yeah. <laughs> did that uh did the just rotation and just how many games you're cranking out, did you just get a little fried or why did you end up leaving? Uh, well, part of the reason was that um, basically when I met my wife, we both owned houses. And so we, uh, I sold my house and paid off my mortgage and we had some money. So I was like, well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to make a game. And she was very supportive of that and, and still is, which is a miracle. She is an angel. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah i mean there's only so many times you can write oh no more bad guys look <laughs> out more bad guys oh some bad guys have arrived and i think that's the like, last oh, of them <laughs> <laughs> what, what i would do to recite that dialogue you're i mean you're the words <laughs> i wish i could say i mean it, it's shakespeare it's just because the english accent really right yeah. it's beautiful uh what ip do you want to see turn into a lego game griffin Oh boy, that's a good question. I'll tell you what for me was a big missed opportunity. They did, uh, they, this one irked me and I, I feel like I tweeted about it a lot. Uh, I, I didn't think I had any power to change anything but I needed to vent my frustration to the world. Um, they did Lego Incredibles, yes. uh, which was just based off of the two movies. And uh, historically, most of the Lego video games have been franchises that have like three or four entries. There's a little bit more of a saga to cover. With Lego Incredibles, it felt like they were cutting things a little bit thin. And especially when you get to the Lego Incredibles 2 section of it, uh, that script I have heard went through a lot of changes up until the very last minute. Yeah. And uh, the game section of, of uh, the Lego Incredibles, uh, of Incredibles 2, feels like they didn't really know what they were working with to some degree. And I was like, what I want to see is some Lego Pixar volume. Like, not that they could fit all 20 into one game. Yeah. But I would love to see a game where they throw a couple of them in here, and then that allows it to become a new franchise that can keep on going like their other perennials have. Uh, didn't happen. And then even Toy Story 4 came out uh, last year, uh, which is my favorite franchise, Toy Story. Uh, they had a line of Lego Toy Story toys, and I was hoping there was going to be a game. You got four movies there. There was nothing. So I would say Lego Toy Story, my ultimate game dream. But also I would like to see some sort of anthology Pixar where you could get like some monsters, some Nemo, a little bit of everything. Yeah. That it seems like a perfect fit as well. Right? That's why I was yeah. tweeting about this, because I was like, I need the the validation of the fact that my idea makes sense. It does, but at the same time, like, having that Lego Pixar on the shelf, fine. You pay 60 bucks, you get it. But you get Lego Incredibles, you get Lego Toy Story, which I won't look at Graham, but I assume at some point Lego Toy Story is going to come out. That's going to be the it four films. Inevitable. Yeah, yeah, they can yeah. milk it. Why bundle it up? You don't need to do some confusing... Sure, sure. I guess, I guess bundle it up with the things that only have one movie. Okay. Yes. You know? Yeah. What, what's it's, your take on that, Graham? Is that just like too many different art assets? Is that too tricky systems-wise to pack together? It's, it depends. It, I would say what it depends is if you can get most of the characters to fit into it like a minifig form. Because if you can't, because if they're too radically different to a minifig, that yeah. means they've all got to have custom f***ing rigs. And that just just explodes the amount of animation that needs to be done. Yeah. So when you see the great thing about the great thing about Lego games is that effectively you might have two hundred characters, but maybe there's like three rigs. 
So yeah, okay. it's like it's like mm, that. That is that is some some good efficiency right there. So uh, yeah, it would depend if they could uh, get that to do. But there's probably plenty of movies where they do have enough, you know, like humanoid characters that you could totally do that. But yeah, but you know, Finding Nemo, Lego Finding Nemo, I I can't see that how that a little little rocky, little yeah, rocky. Yeah, I'd imagine you saw like the Lego Mario set, Graham, and your your brain melted yeah, thinking about how that would possibly pack yeah. into a video game like that. That would be really cool because, you know, we got to do like a few little Mario bits in the original release of um, City Undercover. Yeah. And that was really cute. But, yeah, I really like the uh, the look of that set. I mean, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not made of money. I mean, there's a <laughs> pandemic going on. But um, it's not cool. Uh, but, yeah, my pitch, I, I, I hate doing this. Like, back when I was at Game Informer and talking to devs, like, the worst thing is when you'd hear another journalist trying to pitch a game or a feature for a game but i made an exception for one case which was talking to arthur parsons over there from tt games and i was like here's you don't even need to license anything the greatest layup in history in terms of sales for this stuff make lego old testament think about (laughs) now maybe it's just you know over there in england they're like i don't know the bible griffin Seriously, how many people in America would buy Lego Old Testament? I think it would fly off the shelves, right? I mean, so, some have called it the greatest story ever told. Right? <laughs> exactly. I think there's a good there's a good argument. It's maybe the most epic saga, the only saga that could beat Star Wars in an arm wrestling match. Absolutely. Yeah, and no, it, it seems it seems like a slam dunk. A lot of characters. Yes. A lot of big set pieces. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Challenges, puzzles, tests, circumcisions. Yeah. What, what else do you need? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, to be fair, we are godless infidels over here. That may be why it didn't fly. <laughs> that could but, be it. Yeah, Arthur looked at me like I was um, fucking nuts, but yeah. Here's the thing, though. Like, you know, they made, they made that super, what was it, um, Noah's Ark game for the SNES, like first-person shooter thing. So why the hell not? I yeah. mean, and also, you don't have to pay for the IP. Right, right. <sighs> yeah, I really think so. Like, Veggie Tales can do it. They can be, yeah. you know, quirky <laughs> with that, and they make a gazillion dollars. Yeah, I feel like, oh, it's right there. Uh, okay, uh, Griffin, do you want to actually rank these things, your favorites? Okay, and yeah. So what What are we... Give me some confines for the ranking. Well, what we do... Do we want to do, like, a top ten? Like, what do we want to do here? I think I think we go, like, a little bit like we did with David Sims here last week, where it's just the most fun ones to play now, you know? Okay. You can't be like, oh, well, I really loved it uh, back in the day for this reason, you know? Just what you think holds up the best, and, yeah, yeah. as many as you want to rank, as many as you feel comfortable with. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's weird. I don't know if it's just like it lodged in my brain. It's the one I, I get stuck on. But there's something about, uh, in particular, Lego Indiana Jones 2 that wow. I always come back to. Uh, I think there's something about the, the Indiana Jones world. It's a little bit similar to the Jurassic World, which I think also translated really well, where it's um, a little closer to the world we know with weird elements in it um as opposed to star wars or batman or whatever which are all just kind of uh wackadoo and i love those on their own but there's something about lego as an entry point to those and i also think um because the first lego indiana jones came out i think right before crystal skull so when they announced the second one everyone oh it's just gonna be a crystal skull game which seemed very unappealing yeah but the secret of uh indiana jones 2 is it's like a remake of the first three films and also the Crystal Skull levels. And I think it it benefits from the approach of getting to revisit the original trilogy again, having gone through the game one time. It picks different scenes to dramatize. 
um, different sort of play structures. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. It's not even like that's probably, I like Indiana Jones. It is on the lower end in terms of my fandom for the properties that Legos cover. But for whatever reason, that game is like a really, really good balance. I love, I love that you chose that one too, because I think the first time I visited uh, Traveler's Tales for the uh, Lego Marvel Superheroes cover, I think we asked them like what the developer's favorite game was uh, from the Lego series. And a lot of them picked that. So like, we think it's the unsung hero of the Lego games, because I think it was the only one that had online co-op or the only one at that in that era that had online co-op. And there are a lot of other kind that of features right. yeah. that they experimented with back in that time. And just having that ability to like iterate so quickly and just do the trilogy again, I feel like everybody feels yeah. like, oh, it's like basically a sequel, except we just get to recreate the same stuff and make it better and better. And so that seems like a lot right. of developers' favorites. It feels like it benefits from the improvement. There's a lot of weird, like, experimenting like that. Like, there's a, there's a level-building feature as well. Yeah. There's all this stuff in it that feels really kind of like people being able to to stretch their arms and try uh, some, some new stuff. And I also just like, I, I like the... Um, the Lego game mechanic of different characters having different specialties, you know? I mean, it's like my my joy at realizing Luigi could jump a little bit higher as a child, the way the Lego games take that to, like, the nth degree, I love, like, oh, this Lego Indiana Jones character has a book, which means they can solve puzzles. Like, right. any of those sort of mechanics, I'm all on board with. Yeah. Um, okay, the number two, I would say... I'm looking at the list here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is one I played recently that I was very impressed with. They they did the re-release of the two Harry Potter games, which were earlier remade for the next-gen consoles. And there's something about uh, Harry Potter that works really, really well in the LEGO format because of the spells. Uh, collecting spells as new skills. And mm-hmm. even though certain characters have certain specialties... Um, you also just uh, being able to cycle between them. It makes every element of the game that same kind of very basic muzzle solving because anything you come up against, you're trying to figure out which thing you already have in your little rotation is the thing to apply here. Um, Good breadth of characters, good number of movies and stories. That's still in the zone where you're getting it's pantomime uh you're not getting the dialogue yeah so it's it's the goofier version of it as opposed to the epic version of it but i just think the gameplay works really really well there that um, one of the first ones where they had like a proper physics engine as well so the destruction was way better than any of the previous games that makes really a lot of sense nice. it's the size of it felt it feels really big i mean even just being able to walk around hogwarts as the hub in between levels the, the sort of exploring in that feels the best. Now, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not just saying this to butter up the other person who is on this call with us, but I think Force Awakens is the best of the LEGO games. I think far and away. I think it benefits in that uh, uh, Indiana Jones style of being able to revisit the earlier films, in addition to being able to apply everything uh, that the team has learned to the new film, and also that you get the actual actor voices that it, mm. it feels a little more substantive in that way. I like all the sort of appendix stuff. There's the level based off of uh, that uh, prequel comic about how C-3PO gets the red arm. Yeah. Uh, like, just I, I feel like it's a very all-encompassing game, and it's not fair to hold this against it. But the only thing I resent with Force Awakens was it made me think, okay, they're going to make a new game for each individual entry in the Disney era, and then they will also use that game to revisit some of the previous things. Now I know there's the complete Skywalker Saga game that's coming out, 
But at the time, I thought, uh, a game just for Force Awakens, I don't know. You know, like Incredibles, it's slicing it too thin. I felt like it was a good vehicle to be able to tackle so many different elements of Star Wars that I'm a little disappointed that then it was held off for the all-encompassing game. Yeah, and Graham winced like that wasn't always the plan. And then his camera actually shut off. Uh, so oh, boy. <laughs> hang on, you still over there, Graham? I feel like we were about to get some really good scoops. It looked like he was like biting his lip. Yeah, he really waiting was. Waiting to weigh in. The was... camera went off, um, for the listener at home, I mean, literally went off the second I stopped talking. <laughs> I heard a quick blaster shot, too. It's really uh, bizarre. <laughs> <It was> so... <laughs> A blunderbuss, yes. <laughs> Anyways, I guess he'll could he can try and figure that out. Do you have more on your list? Other favorites? I do. Uh, uh, Lego uh, Marvel Superheroes Two, second, uh, which is the most recent one. Because um, there's Lego Marvel Superheroes, then there was Lego Avengers, yes. which is kind of unofficially MCU. It's more MCU influenced. Uh, and Lego Marvel Superheroes 2 is the direct sequel to the first one, which is just in kind of wackadoo Lego Marvel comics land where you're allowed to have everything mash up. I think it's the one with the best uh, narrative. It is the one where it feels like the team was able to write a really unique story because it's all about King the Conqueror causing this time rift. And so you're dealing with alternate versions of the Marvel universe. So you have sort of the Spider-Man noir universe yeah. and the sort of medieval universe. Um, and going to different planets and all this sort of stuff. It feels like, to me, what I want. Uh, oh, is he totally gone now? <laughs> I think he's, he might be restarting. Let's just wait oh, for boy. him to come back here. Sure. Hey, in the meantime, um, do, what do you think about... Oh, never mind. No time for that. He's coming back. Maybe he's got to turn oh, yeah. his camera Sorry on. about that. Are you here back? Are you alive? Yeah, I'm live. Uh, there we go. There Great. we go. Who got to? Sorry about that. <sighs> Good technology. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What were, what were you going to ask you? Oh, about uh, Force Awakens. Oh, but like the the bonus stuff in the Force Awakens game. Uh, like I think of this is such a weird specific thing, but somehow I, I ended up meeting Anthony Daniels in Las Vegas, like as he was on his way out to record like the final bit of mop up VO for Force Awakens the film. And I said, like, and the movie wasn't out yet. And I was like, oh, my God, C-3PO's red arm. That thing looks crazy in the trailers or whatever. And he's like, oh, that red arm. And he complained about how much he hated the red arm for a while. So I'm curious, did you, like, record dialogue with him all about his journey to get the red arm then? Yeah, yeah, no, I've got, um, well, yeah, I've got a photo of me with, with him in the uh, the recording studio. He was lovely. It was really good fun because we'd, we'd also we'd meet before the actual recording sessions to basically – because he kind of has ownership of that character. Yeah. And we'd, we'd basically meet before the recording sessions and basically go over the script and say, well, we could make this, you know, a bit more flowery. You know, it's not rain, it's precipitation and um, stuff like that. We'd, we'd, we'd sort of just uh, punch up the scripts, me and him together. Because, you know, he, he, you know, nobody knows the voice of C-3PO like Anthony Daniels. Yeah. Um, I think he's still got his phone number somewhere. We could, we could totally hey. prank call him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you, uh, did you have uh, any big takeaways about how he sees the character that was different from what you're expecting or anything like that? No, not really. No, not really, because he was actually surprisingly really, really happy with what I'd written, oh, and, nice. and, and which was, you know, a surprise. I mean, you know, I, 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 I felt I captured the voice fairly well, but um, yeah, no, he was, he, was, he was a joy to work with. It was really good fun. Oh, I'm nice. curious, are there any other actors you worked with who were similarly protective of the characters? Like, was there anyone else you were surprised where they kind of came in and said, like, I don't think I would say it this way, or this is the core of the thing for me, or any of that? 
do you know what? I, I didn't have that at all. I, really? um, I, yeah, they were, they were, I think, I think because they appreciated that they, they got the fact that it's, it's Lego star Wars and therefore yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Is, there is more latitude with that. So they were totally down with it. Like, um, like the, we did some really stupid announcement stuff with, uh, with Gerald Hux, with uh, Donald Gleason, And he was, he yeah. was totally down with that. His only issue was that he was told he was coming in to do 10 lines and I'd written about 14. It's like, <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, no, everyone was just, it was, it was really lovely. And getting to meet people like, you know, Simon Peck and Gwendolyn Christie and all that, yeah. and, you know, they were all just, just a laugh. Wait, didn't you guys get Harrison Ford too? Yeah. Yeah. How I the mean, hell did yeah, that he, work? He, how, how the hell did that work? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming a truck full of money is how that works. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I, I feel like, I feel like NDAs, but you know, do the math. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Um, but my favorite one is um, actually um, uh, Carrie Fisher was so lovely to work with as well. And her dog was with her and it would constantly ruin takes because her dog would be just like shaking its leash and oh, stuff no. like that. So. But, but um, everybody's too yeah, scared to be was... like, hey, Carrie, could you just put the dog just 10 feet away? Do you have to be holding yeah. it while delivering these lines? I love that. The, the dog was just, it was non-negotiable. If you get me, the dog is in my arms on my... It's amazing she wasn't holding the dog yeah, in the film itself yeah, at all times. She's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, Gary, that was his name, the dog. And, and, yeah, Gary it was, uh, yeah. yeah, Gary Fisher. It was, uh, it was just uh, yeah, really lovely sessions with them. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. Uh, do you miss working on the Lego games? I'm just having a salary. Um, <laughs> I do. Do you know what? I mean, they were they were you know the most incredible transformative time for me because I wasn't a writer really before I started on those. Basically, I, I got my job just because I was doing stand up and someone saw me doing it who was high up at the company and was like, "Well, he works for us. That will be cheaper than hiring a proper writer." Oh wow! Um, oh, that's crazy. So you were working. You were already working there, and then simultaneously were moonlighting as a stand-up, and then they unified the two things and said, you should write jokes for us. Wow. Yeah, basically, yeah, because so they, they had another person who was writing Legacy Undercover, but wasn't really working out, and they were like, well, yeah. you know, we seen, you, you've done stand-up, and someone high up called Jonathan Spitt had saw me doing it and was like, well, give him a try. And, and yeah, just it worked out from there, really. That's awesome. Uh, well, hey, this has gone long, but uh, Griffin, do you have any other burning questions about the lego series or anything else you want to get off your chest here oh man i mean this is like too too big of a prompt i'm like the kid <laughs> in the candy store now what do i ask um huh, oh boy uh are, are there any just because i'm a big there not of lego specifically although i do have legos but just of everything in general and certainly things i've worked on are there any cool sort of mementos you have uh from your experience working at lego or freebies oh my god he's reaching off camera for something yeah, I Please just be a stud the size of his head. This is a great tour of his shells. Okay. Right, so basically, whenever you complete a project, you would get a mm -hmm. Lego block with a minifigure in it, and you get to choose it. So I've got about nine of those in a drawer. Hang on. We're going on the trip. Yes, yes, Please, yes, yes. Take us with. Please. Okay. Uh, right, okay, where are you? Okay, for the audio oh, listeners, yeah. he's rummaging through his mansion, all impeccably organized. <laughs> I, I'm really hoping I did not sell these on eBay. Um, <laughs> I know you want to make that game I, happen, man. I definitely did not. Hang on. Uh, uh, oh, here we are. So, uh, whenever you do a project, you would get a uh, oh, character wow. from it. 
Yeah, so it uh, looks like it's like in Lucite. It's like a little like trophy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've got like, you know, like a, a dozen of these from all the different games I worked on. So yeah, that's that's what I would say is probably the, uh, it's it, uh, yeah, a really lovely takeaway. Because these things, they cost like 50 quid each to make. Um, they are not cheap. And, and everyone who worked on the game would get one. That's so, awesome. That's super nice. Yeah. Uh, I've got Doctor Who, which is my favorite. <laughs> that's so sweet. Oh, did you get to rate him for Dimensions? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! So that was, to be honest, that was the IP I was most looking forward to because I've always been a big Doctor Who fan. Um, so that was that was really lovely. Yeah, and Dimensions overall, did they assign it with just different characters, different worlds? Like, which characters did you write on for Dimensions? Because that's a mind-boggling project. Everything, pretty much. Yeah, because um, I was I was just you know just lead writer, so wow. uh, yeah, pretty pretty much every single thing I. I I either did a pass on or was just in charge of writing fully. So, so you were the person that wrote, yeah, uh, if you had Bart Simpson and Sonic in the party together, you wrote the take it, take it, take it, take it, take it reference. No, that, ah, no, the, the Simpson stuff. Cause I think they were all like using um, voice clips from the show rather than, you know, actual new recording. Yeah. So that was all done again. That was all handled by the, the cutscene team actually. Oh. And you know, a lot of the in-game stuff, they also was handled by other people, but uh, all the cutscenes uh, was me and like uh, the Doctor Who level. I did all the cutscenes for that as well, and a few others, but yeah. Oh, that's so wild. Uh, anyways, what I was going to ask you, Griffin, is just about the idea of uh, the coronavirus shutting everybody down, all film production mm. down. Do you think it could have an effect, much like at least the story they tell of Force Awakens, of like when Harrison Ford broke his leg, um, and they kind of had time to stop and reassess and kind of review the script, review what they had so far. Do you think that can have a similar effect for movies in production now, like uh, Jurassic World 3? Do you think it'll give them time to breathe and maybe make it better? That, that's my hope. I mean, you know, it, it, that that kind of thing doesn't always work, but in general, there, there's that sort of axiom about um, film production. It's like a pie chart, and you only get two out of three, and it's uh, time, freedom, and money, you know? And usually people pick uh, to throw time by the wayside. Um, and, and these days it feels like the studios just throw time by the wayside. They go, that's not even on the table. Yeah. Um, but, but it is, I think almost always a benefit to be able to have some time to process things, to step back, look at how things are coming together. Uh, the new Batman movie. I mean, there are a lot of them now are just kind of like, uh, frozen. I, I want to believe that's the silver lining here. You know, there's also a point where if the, gap goes on too long you wonder if they get out of the flow of things mm. um it's always a weird thing like as an actor i i would always sort of uh dread having to do reshoots uh even though in a way it's like oh here's a second chance to to make something better and almost always that is what comes as an end result of that there's something like you feel so vulnerable that when when you're making the thing, that when they ask you to do it a second time, it's like double painful. It's like right. poking a, a wound that's just starting to heal, whether or not you have regrets about how it was done the first time. Um, so, I, I mean, I think the ideal is the gap goes on long enough that everyone is longing long enough to get back on set, that when they come back to it with the thought they put into it, everyone has completely field-tested their side of the thing in the minds and we'll get like a, a solid year run where every blockbuster is a masterpiece. That's my very idealistic yep. prediction. Yep. Lock it in. It's going to happen. Well, Hey, uh, Graham, do you want to plug your project that doesn't have a name or a website? Yeah, sure. Well, just to follow me on Twitter, uh, just my name, Graham Goring, and, and I'll, I'll make sure I put a, maybe a gif. I hear gifs are good. Okay. Yeah. yeah that sounds great. Uh, Griffin, anything you want to plug? 
Yeah, Blank Check with Griffin and David, uh, my podcast with David Sims, uh, previous guest with the Men Max podcast, uh, where we talk about movies. We're going through the uh, filmography of George Miller now, which also would be a Lego game that I would love to see that will never happen. Lego Mad Max, I would, oh I would really be on board for. Um, and uh, yeah, Tick is still streaming on Amazon and I think every country. Uh, who knows when Bezos changes his mind and <laughs> decides to delete it to free up server space. But for the time being... <laughs> It is still on there. And then uh, the He-Man cartoon, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, will, I don't know when it's coming, because uh, I know when it was vaguely supposed to come out, but who knows if that's pushed back now. But I've recorded a majority of it, and oh, I think awesome. it's really good. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, so I at least got most of my work done before everything shut down. Yeah. And uh, hopefully everyone else is able to continue working on it. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for this uh, dream mashup here. Uh, tr true honor and a privilege. Cool. <laughs> Absolutely. For me too. And now just to confuse you both, uh, do you both want to uh, clap out simultaneously? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm holding on to a thing. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Uh-huh. 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 Uh, 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 okay. Here we go. Uh, okay. Three, two, two one. one. Jeff, do you know how this whole thing operates here? Magic. Magic, everybody. The magic what? of the community coming together on patreon.com slash minmax2n, supporting us at any tier. You get access to the Discord. You can leave comments for not only the minmax show, but then also for the deepest dive, like on stuff like the Final Fantasy VII remake, stuff like that. Uh, we have a new round of, oh, you can see the Smacks picture now, which is hilarious, but new round of Wall of Heroes. Uh, if you're a $100 supporter, which is bingo bango money, um, then you get on the TV behind us. You can choose whatever picture you want to go on there and make us laugh, make us cry, embarrass us, uh, whatever you'd like. We'll put it I'll Jeff him to play Red Dead too. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, that's what Beaten Down Brian did last time. Now he has a cute picture of his dog with a flower mm. on its head because he's adorable. Um, Fifty dollar tier, you get your name in the credits of every piece of Minmax content, including this show and also a custom private thank you video from the four of us. Um, but let's go through some of our supporters here. Look at this: a new supporter this month, Easy Going Gaming. Hey, Easy Going Gaming is an extremely oh. <clears throat> Uh, I won't botch your first read. Here we go. Easygoing Gaming is extremely excited to be one of MinMax's monthly Patreon supporters. I chose to advertise on this channel because it's a channel I watch and enjoy regularly. Therefore, I felt this was the most organic form of advertising I could go for for my channel. Easygoing Gaming is a YouTube channel dedicated to covering all things relating to the world of video games, with videos ranging from news and reviews to lists and predictions. I hope to provide a little bit of something for everyone. I've been a lifelong gamer and I'm excited to share that love and passion with a community as passionate as MinMax's. P.S. This was in a follow-up message. Hey, I've just recently noticed that if you type in easygoing gaming on the YouTube search, it doesn't always pull my channel up, but if you type in easygoing gaming channel, it pulls it up immediately. I was wondering if it'd be possible for you to add this little side note at the end of the ad read. If not, it's no problem. People should be able to find the channel. I apologize for the inconvenience. So you know that uh, he's a wonderful guy if he's that concerned. Mm. Uh, thank you, easygoing gaming, for your support. Uh, I went and checked out the channel. Beautiful uh, motion graphics intro, much better than uh, the MinMax shows at this point, but maybe it's something we can work on in the future. He has a video up uh, talking about Resident Evil 3, another one talking about a game that he's very excited about, which is the remaster of Saints Row 3. So thanks to Easygoing Gaming for your support. Nice. Uh, also, I'm 8-Bit is still with us this month, which is very exciting. Um, you can check out the I'm 8-Bit store. Everything on that store, you get 10% off if you enter the promo code MinMax. And I was just cruising on the site, seeing what's new. They have something incredible. Kyle, you'd be into this. They have... A oh. physical version of the original Psychonauts on PlayStation 4, but the art 
is incredible. It's like Scott Campbell, who's stud muffin for our community, but also a designer and graphic designer over at uh, an artist over at Double Fine. But it's like his art. So it's like this hand-drawn look. Check it out. It's really sweet. And then okay, also- and what's our discount code? So I can go ahead and grab that. Uh, right it's a MinMax 2Ns, please. Um, but there then also uh, they have the Watam Vinyl that game from the creator of Katamari Damacy. The vinyl soundtrack for this thing is absurdly cool. So it has like a bowler hat that you flip up and it actually gives like your album a bowler hat. It's absurd. They say it has innovative packaging with pop-out mayor hat. There it is. Um, music by Asuka, Brad, Sam, and Timmy. And album art by Keita Takahashi himself. Uh, it's a really great looking vinyl soundtrack. You can check that out along with other stuff at iMateBit store. And they give our community a prize every week with the I Made Bit Question of the Week winner. So this week, if you submitted the best question, which we'll determine at the end, you get uh, this album, The League of Legends, DJ Sona, Ultimate Concert Vinyl, Concussive Red Edition. I'll be damned. I'm going to be opening this sucker. This looks fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. And now let's get into actual questions from the community. Kieran Robinson says, hey, with The Last of Us 2 being delayed indefinitely, how much of it's delayed do you think had to do with shipping and finishing the game, and what do you think about Naughty Dog potentially delaying it because of its subject matter? I, for one, did have second thoughts about jumping into quite a bleak game when the world around us isn't quite the greatest at the moment. What do you think about that? What do you think's really going on there? I think it's like 95 to 99% manufacturing and shipping costs, yeah. I would imagine. Well, I think... I would go as high as 100. <laughs> I would, too. Mm. I mean, maybe it's a consideration to think about, but at the same time, it's like... I think it's Sony's call. It's not Naughty Dog's call, right? Because in that post, they that seemed a little bit clear, yeah. bummed out about the decision because they want to get this thing out the door. But at the same time, too, I think it's, well, overall manufacturing, perhaps, but then also, hey, we want to be able to sell these things in stores. And if everything's shut down, we don't want to lose 40% of our revenue or whatever it might be by potentially mm -hmm. people finding it in a store, right? Because yeah. as a smaller indie game, you really need to get all the exposure you can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Come I mean, on. Yeah, it's because I guess... It, I guess you could say it's noble of them to try to like let people play it all at once, you know, avoid spoilers and stuff like that. But I, I don't, I, I think it's just a manufacturing issue. Like ultimately, I don't know. Yeah. It's I, just I the stores. It's... Why is it not just the stores? Well, I mean, like I said, manufacturing shipping costs or yeah, whatever, printing like, the discs, putting, putting the, the things together, in yeah. stores, I think is, is maybe the biggest hurdle there for sure. But I mean, yeah. I guess uh, selfishly, I, I'm not going to buy a physical version of the last of us. So I, I, would just prefer to have it digitally, but right. uh, I told I get I, like you know I'm not their only customer, of course. So I totally get them like just saying, well, if we can't put it in stores, um, we may as well not. Which is weird because like uh, I guess the, the movie industry is working out in different ways. They're either delaying stuff or they're just putting it out on digital. And I guess that yeah. Hey, on, you uh, guys excited for Trolls World Tour on Friday? No, <laughs> absolutely not. But. Uh, yeah, I, I I think the subject matter is maybe not really a concern. I, I totally get why people would be reticent to play it, but I think as a whole, I don't think people are going to like hold off on it. I don't think the sales would be lower if they could get them in the stores. Yeah. Um, especially since like RE3, you know, released. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that that stuff is necessarily as forefront of mind for them, for Sony. Right. If some it people is, are thinking about it. And we talked a little bit about it, I think, in the past, but it definitely is, you know, heads up. Brace for impact. I mean, I would not be surprised if Cyberpunk gets delayed again. I would not be surprised if Watch Dogs Legion is not coming out this year. Biomutant, Ghost yeah. of Tsushima. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that could be very severely impacted by this. Tsushima, yeah. I think, yeah, might be next. Cyberpunk, I, I still have some confidence for. Although, like, they, they, 
because it, it, it's September, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like Cyberpunk's not going to be affected by it, but maybe that's silly of me to think. I mean, yeah, it, with... it, it was surprising for me that they didn't, because they announced the Last of Us delay and the uh, Iron Man VR yeah. delay at the same time. I'm surprised they didn't announce if they were going to delay Tsushima or if they had thoughts mm -hmm. about it. I'm surprised they didn't fire uh, fire off that delay at that point. Yeah, but maybe they're still trying to hold strong because I, I don't I don't think the the virus is necessarily going to be um, necessarily winding down around then. So I'm, I'm very curious as to what their strategy is for Tsushima. Yeah, I think they would have delayed it by now if they were going to. Right. Michael Moran says with the Valorant closed beta starting today, that's the shooter from the Riot Games. Um, Riot followed the recent trend of drops enabled streams with a chance to win a closed beta invite if you link your twitch account with riot and watch valorant streams what are your thoughts on these and can anyone in the community name a soul that has ever received a drops enabled beta invite for anything maybe it's just me but i feel like the crapshoot promise of getting a key strapped onto what is essentially just an advertising campaign leaves a bad taste in my mouth that makes me want to stop watching these streams so i don't encourage the strategy moving forward so i think it was on tuesday the valorant beta launched um we might be playing it for in time for next week's episode um but with that, it was like, hey, turn into a stream, and then you have a chance to win. And maybe as a re result of that, or maybe just because Riot Games is huge, uh, the Twitch numbers were off the charts this week. So many people were watching. Um, what do y'all think of that strategy? It overcame Fortnite officially at 1.7 million wow. viewers by people watching Valorant. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, what do you think of the strategy, though, of tying beta keys to streamers? It was Michael. Was it Michael who wrote that? Michael email? Moran, the guy yeah. whose butt I, I whooped in StarCraft. I think Michael makes a fantastic point about like the, the futility of the contest angle. I was like, you just, I don't like, you're not, you're just like, you're going to get a key. Like if you participate in all and yeah. like, that's fair. But like, I mean, there's no denying that it was successful. Like riot played it well and it was very smart. I mean, that's, there were all kinds of news stories that were yesterday that were just like millions of people are watching Valorant. This is insane. You know, right. like it just, so I think it was an effective, and smart on their end but yeah like as far as like it is it is ultimately all just like marketing and advertising just trying to boost that number up and it, it worked you know yeah more people were watching valorant than quibi so you know it's a you know mm. it's getting yeah. out of the gate strong there um shane carley says hey crew last year my wife and i got some dinner with friends in paris who are traveling across <laughs> let me try this again Shane Carley clearly says, last year, my wife and I got dinner with some friends from Paris who were traveling across the U.S. for their honeymoon. They mentioned they had bought tickets for the following day's Red Sox game, but being from France, they had never seen a baseball game before. They asked me to explain the rules, which as a huge baseball fan, I was immediately excited to do, but I quickly realized that baseball is absolutely impossible to explain to someone with no frame of reference. Seriously, where do you start? Innings, outs, runs? It's all gibberish. Anyway, it got me thinking, what video game mechanic would be the most impossible to explain to someone who has never played a video game before? Boy. He says something like the Persona system to a non-gamer would be impossible. The Persona system? <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. What stands I mean, out? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a lot. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of a good highlight, but even something as simple as like, it's like, well, this one's a 2D platformer. Okay, hold on. I got to take a few steps back here. Right. Mm. I mean, do you know what a Mario is? Do you know who Mario is? <laughs> yeah, one time I was trying to play New Super Mario Brothers on the Wii with my mom, and, like, there were some kids around and stuff, and my mom's like, which one am I? I'm like, you're Mario, Mom. She's like, who's Mario? And I was like, oh, Chris. <laughs> you're my mother? <laughs> yeah, and I Ew. just walked out of the house. I haven't seen her since. I hope she's fine. I don't know. 
Uh, I would say that I still don't understand what the hell an auto chess is. And so explaining <laughs> to them that to someone who doesn't know video games would be very hard. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Yeah. I had a moment recently where I was trying to explain to my girlfriend uh, turnips and Animal Crossing and the stock market overall. And it, she naturally laughed at me, but, you know, just be like, hey, yeah, I'm going to be late coming over because I there's turnip prices in Kurtztown and it's a whole ordeal and trying to explain why it's very stressful and why people are screaming and text at me. It's like I, it's all it's just the stock market, baby. I don't know. I was I was trying to sell a parent on Animal Crossing uh, the other day and I was like, it's and I like I couldn't figure out a good way to sell it, cause, you know, because kids are looking for things to play right now. And Animal Crossing is a good one. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay, it's kind of like a free to play game where you're like collecting stuff and you do have to wait, but there's you're not like spending any money. Like oh, you're no. not it's not like cuz that was like their point of reference was like the free iPhone games that their kid plays. Yeah. And I'm like it's like that but good and doesn't cost as much in the long <laughs> run. And she was like, "Okay, thanks, I guess. They're oh, just going to play God. Fortnite." <laughs> mess. Yeah, I always think back. I think I told this story before on a podcast, but uh at some point like an older girlfriend um uh she asked like she saw League of Legends and she's like, why does that look like World of Warcraft? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this is, all right, do you really want to know? Because sit down for this one. It's a mess. Yeah. What is um, t- uh, Trials of Mana? Mm-hmm. Like you know, the, the weird saga of that. It's a remake of a Super Nintendo that never came out in North America. I was trying to explain that to my wife, Ashley, who's a big gamer, plays tons and tons of games. And she was just her eyes were glazing over of like, is it a good game or not? Like, should I care about this? I don't care about it being a Super Nintendo game that never came out. Should I play it? I'm like, well, don't you need all this information? <laughs> She's like, no, I don't need any of this. Yeah. I feel like we need that voice on the podcast every once in a while. Just stop over talking things. Should I buy this or not? Shut up. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome to call in. We're just on Discord here. Anybody can jump in and call in at any moment. Tell us to shut up. Shut up, please. Yeah. Uh, Yaro says, hello, lovely people. What is your favorite game that is not a part of a series? So I guess no sequels, right? Mm. One and done. Uh, It's it's weird because I want to say Killer7, but that's weird because I I don't know where this like falls because it's part of this weird loose trilogy that like ha- like they share they share yeah, they share characters between like the silver case and flower sun and rain but they're not like directly related plot wise so it's a weird gray area uh but if that I doesn't that qualify counts. it's probably undertale wait but then deltarune doesn't that throw off your whole idea oh yeah, i guess it is part of the series now <laughs> yeah so then does not uh, count I think of um, one I always go to in this kind of question is Advent Rising for the Fox, which is yeah. a weird one because like it was set up to be a large trilogy and it was de- it definitely had like technical shortcomings and it didn't sell well. So it just never went anywhere. The game ends in a cliffhanger that will never be resolved because even the people who worked on it are now knee deep in Fortnite. So they're all set. But like. Uh, like that game had a really cool like mechanic where like you ba- the two analog sticks like one was shooting and one was like uh like uh force throwing and stuff like that against enemies so you it was really cool and I was I always wanted to see it continue but it's like it's never gonna happen it's it's dead in the water like it was dead in the water like a month after it came out so mm-hmm. yeah um I I'd go Sunset Riders I guess uh, even though Mystic Warriors is kind of like a spiritual successor but you know all that jazz uh. My name is Dan, says, hey, the Switch has been out for over three years now, and I would like to know how you would grade the current state of Switch exclusives. Feel free to use whatever scale you want for graded for grading. 
I think they're good. Good. He says uh, they're great. I think I think this is maybe the first year where it depending on what they announce or don't announce, it could end up being like kind of a middling year. So we're going year to year or overall? I think overall, just how's it doing for exclusives? Overall, I think it's doing amazing. Yeah, I, I think like, they came out really first strong. Party just is fantastic. You can't; it's kind of undeniable, you know. Yeah, it's weird how like they've even been bolstered by like their own past. You know, like all those Wii port, all those Wii U ports have done like a surprisingly good job of like getting people excited for the Switch. Uh, since a lot of people didn't play those Wii U games, so uh, they they kind of have that bonus, you know, on. on Underneath, like the fact that they were still designing games for the Wii U, even though people weren't buying it, ended up being a boon for the Switch. Ultimately, <laughs> it was all a long game, uh, man. Good, I, I know like what they're that, doing. That's a good way to phrase that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, even as someone who doesn't own a Switch and has only played a couple games, that the answer seems obvious that they're doing it. just about as good as you can, right? I guess that's true. In my mind, it's like, well, I'll slow down for a bit, but I guess it's been so strong. And Animal Crossing is well, now I mean, dominating the world. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like for sure. I think we're. I mean, but in terms of bringing back. Almost every single series that people love with one of the best entries in that series. I, I guess mean, that's what more could you ask for? Do. And then, I mean, Panzer, the Panzer Dragoon remake. Is Come on. Really? This is no place for snark, Kyle Hilliard. God damn it. Uh, uh, but I, yeah, this does feel like the first year where they don't announce stuff soon. It does seem like it'll be the kind of like their first really weak year. But, but, but I, I mean, mean you can't sure, say For everyone else that's not you or me, like Animal Crossing is... Is all anyone needs. <laughs> That's true. That is they, true. They do yeah. have they have, so they have at least one game, but I, even then, it just feels like. Well, I think serial. I mean, yeah, you're light. you're out of your mind. I mean, if those rumors are true and they seem too strong to not be true, the idea of every 3D Mario except for Galaxy do coming to the Switch and a new Paper Mario and a port of 3D World with new levels like. That's a strong year. That in Animal yeah, Crossing. I mean, but, but again, I was saying like considering that they have not, if they don't announce something, right, by like by the end of the year, right, like if they, yeah, something the, new. the plans that we know for sure that we we can lay out on the table, it, it doesn't seem like they're having like the best year so far. You know, at, with Animal Crossing kind of being the only major temple release. Gotcha. Uh, if they do yeah. announce that Mario thing and a new Paper Mario, I think that that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm hoping that they have something you know, like two or three more major titles. Not not everything on the level of like a Metro Prime 4 or, you know, Bayonetta 3, but just something that says like, hey, here's what we've been doing recently. You well, know? the stuff like Breath Bravely... Well, too. Well, no way. Uh, but like Bravely <laughs> Default 2, do you think that that's going to do anything for you? Yeah, I, I, it, I, I'm not for me personally, and I don't know, like I know that it, it's a game that people really like, but I don't think it'll... Like I don't think it's one of those series that'll do huge numbers for them. I don't think. What Nintendo about Xenoblade it. Remastered? Yeah, I, yeah, maybe. But like again, that's that was a, that wasn't even a Wii U port. That was like a Wii port. So it, like yeah. I, there's nothing beyond Animal Crossing that I would consider a tier. Whereas I think last year even we had like Fire Emblem, we had uh, Luigi's Mansion, we had Pokemon, right? Like even just those three would be like, a, oh, that's a pretty solid lineup of exclusives. And I don't think we're like those Bravely Default and Xenoblade. I don't think approach that tier. Sure. Uh, Joseph Vessel says, why aren't we seeing more third party support on Switch? We're getting few AAA original titles coming from anyone other than Nintendo themselves. Most third parties are simply releasing older ports, which is true. You think about like third party supports like, oh, I think it's been decent, but it's like, I think everyone's just excited about ports. I'm still excited about ports on the Switch, you know, but you yeah. think about like third party exclusives. There's Octopath Traveler from Square. Really default, I guess. And then, like, from Konami, Super Bomberman R. 
Mm-hmm. Am I, I missing? Uh, Super Super Bomberman R is on Xbox too. Oh, That's is true. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it just the Square stuff? Are there other third-party exclusives I'm not thinking of right now? I'm like looking actually now at. Yeah, I mean oh, the 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 Switch version of Devil May Cry Three has an exclusive feature where you can switch styles on the fly. So yeah, the, uh, Kyle, your mic was cutting out, but what would you say? Uh, Travis Strikes Again. That's a great one. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. There we go. Although I think that Nintendo did have some involvement with that. Oh, is that right? I, I don't think it's like 100% third party, but um, I think count. they also have some involvement with No More Heroes 3. I think. I mean, I think the reason is that it's like if you're gonna if you're making a game for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, if you want to make a Wii a Switch version, like you need to start over basically, or get a, a different studio to sort of downscale the game. You know what I mean? Like the when they had the Wii. And the Wii was super popular. EA and different companies invested a lot in like the other version of games. You know what right. I mean? Like Prince of Persia came out on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, but then they made it a totally original version for the Wii. And I think that investment didn't pay off, so they're scared to do that kind of stuff again. Yeah. Yeah. There's also not as many third-party exclusives across the board outside of Sony. Like yeah. the Yakuza True. series is maybe the first thing that comes to mind, whereas a lot of a lot of the exclusives are still first party. You know, you're not seeing as much of that as you're as you used to. And I think like in terms of third parties investing and stuff, I think just the fact that we are getting like serviceable versions of third party games and people are excited about those, just like Witcher 3, Divinity, Overwatch, things like that. And those seem to work well enough, I think is is an exciting thing that, that Nintendo honestly hasn't had for a while. Because like, you know, with the Wii U, they had all those third party parts like Arkham... I think City it was, or Arkham Asylum. Armored Edition, baby. Uh, yeah. Um, and then those completely petered out. The fact that that hasn't happened with the Switch is is kind of like a step up for Nintendo, oddly enough. Yeah. No, Adam no, Cohen. Call of Duty on Switch, what, Black Ops 2 on Wii U, right? On the best version. Yeah. yeah, there it is. <laughs> it was uh, good. It was good. Well, that one you could play split screen with somebody looking at the gamepad, right? That's still yeah, that such a fun idea. Adam Cohen says, hey, forward down, forward up crew. I've heard down downright downright stand up. Somebody had a better phrase of putting that. Anyways, oh, for the the logo. The logo is what Adam's going for. But he says he has a question that's more attuned, I think, to MinFact, which is our weekly Patreon exclusive one to really dive in the MinMax weeds. But he says, hey, general question about podcasting. There are so many different ways to listen to a podcast like Apple, Google Play, Spotify. I myself use an app called Podbean. I can't imagine you upload to each one individually. Is there a podcast database you upload to and it gets disseminated to all of them? Can you track? Uh, the listens reviews from all the different apps. Yeah, we use a Pinecast. It's just one service, and then it infiltrates it. You have to like sync it with all the different accounts, and then it shoots off to all of them. Hopefully, at the speed of light. But in terms of stats, let's get busy with stats. Uh, so, all right, syndrome. Add it up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, Apple Podcasts. What percentage of listeners do you think use that? Uh, sixty. 23%. Okay. 23. Never mind. Yep. Pocket Cast <laughs> wow. is 12%. Spotify is 10%, which is growing huge. It's crazy. That's Podcast cool. Addict, 9%. Overcast, 6%. Chrome, 4%. Castbox, 3%. Listening directly from iTunes, 1.3%. Then it gets uh, into the freaky territory if you go to the bottom of the list. And this is the stuff that I'm fascinated by. Six people are listening on Amazon Echo. Thank you for mm. that. Okay. One person chooses to listen to the MinMax show on Media Monkey. Not familiar with what that is. Okay. Uh, one person is playing the show through Opera, the browser, 
I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the Wii runs Opera, I think. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Yeah. So this is just yeah. based on the last episode of the MinMax show. And then this is the person. If you are this person, please write into the MinMax show. Let us know. One person's listening in Winamp. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the current state of Winamp nice. is, but thank you for listening to the MinMax show on Winamp. We think it plays yeah. best on Winamp. Uh, I think I, I, I'm looking it up, and Media Monkey might actually be like uh, a Winamp alternative. <laughs> the digital media to play, um, digital media player and media library application developed by Ventus Media Inc. There it We're is. Organizing and playing audio on on Windows. Who needs Windows. Winamp when you got Media Monkey? We say that's right. Uh, Maybe it was the same person. They started halfway oh, through. They were smart. like, oh, "Media Monkey's not cutting it. I'm going back to smart. vanilla Winamp." You know, <laughs> uh, get those old visualizers up and running. Oh, so <laughs> sweet. Carl Anders says, "How about a game?" Can you guess the game from the rare achievements? The title of achievement and what you need to do to get it is given. I right. like this. Hanson, you would be very bad at this game. Oh, <laughs> I've never looked at achievements in my life, yeah. Uh, all right, this achievement's called Dragon Rider. Tame and ride five dragons. Tame and ride five dragons. For Can you say three achievement or trophy? No, I cannot, and I don't know. Okay. <laughs> also, I don't know. Panzer Dragoon. No, come on. Was That's like a default. That had achievements. Uh, <laughs> what is number one dragon game, everybody? Uh, the launch title for 360. <laughs> what the hell is that game called? You know what I'm talking about? Or Xbox One? Yeah. Um, it's not that. <laughs> it's not that. Okay. But we all. Re that wasn't a fever dream, right? We remember that there was a dragon riding game Orta? that launched with the Xbox One. Yeah. Uh, number man, one, is it a it's not a Dragon Age. You never ride dragons in that game. Number one dragon game, I'd say, in terms of sales. Juggernaut. Skyrim. 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 There we go. This uh, is embarrassing. You can ride dragons in Skyrim. I did they add that later or something? I'm not a Skyrim guy. <laughs> All right. Anyways, you just kill them, right? They fell yeah. out of the sky. I thought that was the whole point. I don't know. Lombada <laughs> Locator. Okay, so that's Half-Life 2. Nice! Way to go, Kyle. Yeah, it's locate Lambda. all them. It's Lambda, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lambda? Yeah, L-A-M-D-A, right? Or B-D-A, maybe? Oh, Might he spelled, spelled it Lambada. So everything's with a grain okay. of salt now from Carl Anders. I still got it, though. Yeah, very impressive. Giant Crown Master. Kill abnormally large monsters of each type. Is that a Monster Hunter? <laughs> monster Hunter World, you got it. Yay! Evil Nightmare. Complete Resurrection of Evil in Nightmare. Okay, so this is like this might be uh, Doom Two. Wow, Serial Doom Three. Way oh, to go! Oh, nice. All right, this one's called Firefly. Compete twelve weeks in game after joining group. <laughs> what? Well, so what was the name again? The, Firefly. The name? Fire. Come on, you is that guys. Like a Final Fantasy Eleven. No. Destiny Two. No. Just serial sound to you. Firefly, baby. Come on. Come on. Oh, I know what it is. Serial. Come on. Pyre, is it? What is it? Pyre? No, it's The Last of Us, everybody. Well, there's a lot of letters that overlap there. That is true. Hmm. Uh, mini game master. Complete all mini games. Come on, serial. You got that's that's only one game that has mini games. Serial, <laughs> get it. Wait, wait, why am I the one guessing? Get it, Serial. 
Super well, he Mario did guess Party. higher, so I guess we've all guessed now, right? I thought this was sort of the. I, I was the last one to guess for the Firefly. Yeah, one. that one was Last of Us. We're we're moving on here. This is this yeah. Is so doing. so why am I the only one guessing? Sorry, will you just oh, guess Spyro, mini game Spyro master? Oh, okay, Spiral the Dragon. <laughs> no. Jeff, I'm no. What is going on? I don't know anymore. Think of it's number. It's really not Spyro. No, number one what? mini game game. I would say mini game series. I mean, Mar it's not Mario Party. No, the game doesn't have achievements. Correct. Serial just mentioned this series about six minutes ago. Jeffum, you mentioned it yesterday when we were playing Final Fantasy VII and playing the Dark game, and you said this is like. Yakuza. Yakuza. There oh, it is. That's Yakuza three. Sorry. <laughs> Good job, everybody. Nailed it. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> I like fire. that game. Say, I learned that you could ride dragons in Skyrim. I had no idea. Uh, Stud Muffin says, "Hey, at what point do you personally skip a cutscene?" Great question. It's too never. What is Unless it? I've seen it before. Yeah. Really? I feel like maybe I start up so many games on Steam just to play the opening, and it has to be, like, egregiously stupid with the story for me to be like, I'm I'm skipping this. It takes a lot. But, Kyle, what does it take for you? I mean, I I really, I don't, I do not skip cutscenes. Like, I, if I'm, like, replaying, maybe I'll skip or something like that. Yeah. I have one occasion where I skipped every cutscene, and it's the only time I've done it, and it was with Prototype 2 which is very random, but I was like, that game's all about, like, you know, getting really strong and climbing buildings and flying around, and I was, like, really in the mood to do that. And I never beat Prototype 1, so I didn't care about the story. And I was like, you know what? I'm just skipping all these. And, like, I skipped every cutscene, and then in the end of the game, the end boss, uh, spoiler for Prototype 2, if you want to hit 15 seconds ahead here, was the protagonist from the first game, and I had no idea why that was happening. Oh, wow. That's fun. <laughs> Uh, so. Jeremy McPhail says, hey, MinMaxers, I just recently picked up Beat Saber for the PlayStation VR, being stuck in the house Congrats. and all. I know Kyle is a big fan, so these questions are for him. Feel free to join in others, Zuri obviously. a fan, too, I, I think, right? Yeah, I like Beat Saber. He's oh, a VR cool. boy now. Uh, other games, he's looking for other games similar to it in the sense that it is fun, but you also accidentally get a workout. Uh, a pistol whip. Oh. Like, definitely. Like, 100%. Like, those games go hand in hand to me. Like, they feel kind of similar. Is pistol whip on PSVR, though? Oh, you know what? I I don't think it is. That's a good point. PSVR, huh? Um, oh, oh, apparently yeah, it's in development for PSVR. Second. I'm gonna look it up, but there is a a game that's kind of like Tron, where you're like throwing uh, a sort of frisbee. That I reviewed actually for Game Informer, and it was one that I definitely worked up a sweat playing. Uh, huh. Let's see. Well, let you uh, while he looks weird. for that, uh, you yeah. could also just go play frisbee in your yard. You can't go yeah, inside. There's people first. out there. Yeah, what if somebody else catches your frisbee and then throws it back to you? That's very dangerous, Jeff. Um, sorry, uh, Spark. I didn't think about that. S P A R C. Spark is what it's called. So that's like make a one-on-one nice on one game. You have a shield, and you sort of are bouncing a ball back and forth, and you can use the shield to like uh, bat it back. It's like online multiplayer. It's pretty cool. Okay, cool. And then if if Echo Arena. I don't think Echo Arena is PSVR. That might just be Oculus, but that's like a multiplayer shooter in zero gravity where you actually have to grab the walls to sort of move around the That's the Ready at Dawn developed one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. which is very cool. Uh, I played it at E3 with Soldier Boy. 
Oh, congratulations. Mm. And you were sweaty because you were near Soldier Boy? That's right. Yeah, I told him. <laughs> Phil S. says, sometimes... Said, I'm near you. I'm near you right now, Soldier. Uh, Phil S. says, sometimes my favorite features of a game come as part of an update rather than a full expansion, such as the addition of a photo mode. Shout out to Photo Mode Snap, which, by the way, is up on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, or an overhaul to how loot progression works. Currently, I am super excited for the PSVR game Crisis Brigade to add in co-op and an upcoming update. Has there ever been any instances where a single update has significantly changed the way you felt about a game, better or worse? Hmm. One update. Uh, yeah, I it it made me like a game a lot more. That but it was a game that I already liked, and that was No Man's Sky. When I went when I finally went back to it years after they released that next update or whatever yeah um, i was surprised by how much it actually did change the game and how much focus that it added that it didn't have before and i like just the random wandering to begin with but i i ended up enjoying it a lot more once i had more focused things that i was building towards yeah right on so mark ramirez says hey ben in the clcs what is something that has made you laugh this week anybody laughed yet um, uh, yeah, I did. I I played another board game with my wife, uh, and she beat me so badly. She she had it. It was I. We went into the final round. You know, you you once someone goes over the threshold, which was forty points, you trigger that's that becomes the last round. And uh, she got to forty points, and I had two points at that at that juncture. Um, because you're you're you were kind of putting out cards and you're building an engine to score you victory points, but you you can just get a lot of unique abilities. So I spent the entire game setting up like this very convoluted engine that would supposedly get me victory points at one day, while she just steadily went ahead and she got all these points. And at the end, she just laughed at me in my face. <laughs> said, "What the hell? What the hell were you doing the whole time?" Uh, and then we kind of realized that she probably beats me probably like 80% of the time when we play board games. And and we we had a good laugh as to why the hell that is, since I'm the one who enjoys them so much right. and is always you know watching videos, and I'm the one that actually buys them. And then she begrudgingly plays them with me and beats me most of the time. What so. a good, wholesome relationship you have. Just chuckling mm. about playing board games. That sounds great. That's right. She really, she really embraces the fact that I'm a nerd and doesn't mind it. So wow, that's very, very lucky. Uh, shuffle. Oh, I was thinking about. Uh, yeah, when we streamed all of Midgar in the original Final Fantasy VII on Tuesday, I think I laughed a lot. Uh, my friend Ronnie made me laugh a lot, making stupid quips throughout that. So you can check that out, everybody. Um, anybody else laughed? I've had a lot of um, kind of inspired by enjoying Half Life so much. I kind of went down a portal rabbit hole mm. and dragged my daughter with me. Like, oh, definitely no. did this thing of like, all right, you've played enough Fortnite. You know how to do dual analog sticks now. You're playing portal. Oh, no. And, and I had a great time watching her play. It was, like, hilarious. She was she did really well. Like, I was really impressed. And then she was freaking out over the turrets. She was so scared of getting hit by the turrets. And then when she finally figured out how to get behind them and knock them over, and they say things, and they start, like, screaming, and they're like, yeah. ah! Like, she was... Losing her mind, and I was like, I love Portal so much. This game is so great. And then I watched a bunch of the old like trailers with J.K. Simmons narrating them. Yeah, and it's just so good, man. It's so, <laughs> that game is so amazing. Were you like screaming at your daughter, like this is literally your middle name is Chell? 
like you need to enjoy this like did, does she acknowledge that uh she she knows like i told like <laughs> okay. I, was, I was like that's chell that's that's who we named you after because your wife your mom your wife your mom and i played so much portal 2 while we, we she was pregnant with you conceived like, that, like it was very important to us and she and she got into it like she she enjoyed it she had a good time i didn't i didn't feel like i was forced forcing her too much which i'm okay. always hesitant to do i don't like to try to like force her to to try things that i think she might like like i let her back away when she's like bored with it but portal she went she played for a long time and okay. got really far so insisting that you're not forcing your kids to be into video games you're a kid and naming them shell i don't know if that's a good one two punch it's just a name man okay like all right all right she doesn't have to do anything with that i guess that's true <laughs> shuffle guy says dear ben clc's have you heard that mitsuda is creating music for sea of stars that uh upcoming rpg from the creator of the messenger uh, brings me to my question: Which old composer would you like to see help with a new modern gaming title, and which title? Hope you have a safe weekend. Thank you, Shuffle Guy. Uh, yeah, that's exciting that uh, Chrono Trigger's composer is coming back to compose something for CS Stars, which it sounds like a cool RPG, but it's just getting kickstarted now, and it's not going to be out till I think like 2022. Brian Shea was saying on the Game Informer show, so it seems like a lifetime away. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it's a uh, Tim Fallen. Uh, F O L L I N. Like he did a lot of music back in the day on the on the NES, um, and he hasn't written music recently. But like his soundtrack for Solstice on the NES is the biggest banger on the NES soundtrack or the NES system overall, I would say. Uh, and he also composed like Pictionary on the NES, which is just absurd, and like Silver Surfer, it's just weird cuts like that. But he always always comes out swinging. So I hope he comes back in some capacity. That'd be a fun thing to have like an indie project go hire that guy back again. Uh, I, I have not heard a lot from um, Akira Yamaoka recently. He's he's been he was like a Silent Hill composer that I think now works at Grasshopper. The last thing he made was uh, the last game he did composition for was the Silver Case, the Twenty Fifth Ward, which was a, a re-release of like a quasi or a sequel to the Silver Case. But yeah, I, I haven't heard like a good Akira Yamaoka soundtrack in a while. But um, well, there were like rumors that he's involved in the creative team with konami making a new sound hill in some way but that all seems yeah, to be so i need to hear that music and he's making it you know yeah. like i haven't heard from him since like 2018 so for sure uh weston mccain says hello serial and the gang hello there it is okay is there any guest character in a video game franchise more unusual than negan from the walking dead in tekken 7 i personally love the walking dead but cannot justify why namco would choose such an unrequested and obscure character I don't think I he's mean, obscure, but I think he's really popular. That this yeah, guy probably just doesn't watch Walking Dead, right? No, he says he loves Walking Dead. Oh, okay, never mind. That's a lie. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's he's definitely surprising for Tekken. It seems like this weird out of left field thing. I mean, um, I, I in the fighting game issue at Game Informer, I think with Mortal Kombat. I think I did the top ten list that was like top ten strangest and most obscure fighting game characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like Phoenix Wright always stands out to me in Marvel versus Capcom, and then the uh, you'll have to help me here, sir. I think it's like Fighting All Stars or something like that. You can play yeah. as a Daytona car. Yep, right. Which is like, how do you, you can't beat that? <laughs> like yeah. it's a car. Well, yeah, we asked you Suzuki about that because he was a producer in the game. We were oh, at that yeah. studio, and and he said that was the director's call. So I, don't know. <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. There's also the, the um, original box art Meg Man that was in Street Fighter Cross Tekken. That might be the best. It's just That's so good. bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tyler Carver. I recently started playing through Shadow of the Colossus for the first time, and I'm frankly just blown away at what the game does, especially when thinking about it being released almost 15 years ago. It made me think about the other games that I've played and getting older in general, and it made me wonder, 
What makes a game able to stand the test of time? What a tricky one, Tyler. I mean, it's good design, right? I mean, like, the bones of a game just have to be really stellar. Like, I, I remember thinking that doing the playing the Resident Evil 2 remake because just this sort of the pace of backtracking and re-exploring that police station over and over and getting keys to unlock doors to get more keys, it's like, those bones were there and they held up really well. They just changed the perspective and made the shooting a lot better, you know? And so, like, I think I think that's what it takes. Like, it's not visuals, it's just design. Good, good design bones. Yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, which is, when we talked to Miyamoto and Onuma on this Zelda cover story trip, I mean, that was something that he talked about of just, like, you know games having to have the good the base to make them like hold up really well because we talked we asked him about like would you ever consider remaking zelda 2 or something yeah. like that and that was that was like a concept that he talked about you know well i wonder too if there's some sweet magic in simplicity like shadow of the colossus relatively simple game i'm trying to think about like the most complex game that has stood the test of time like SimCity 2000 or something i'm trying to think like you know is there is there something there I mean, I guess, what, what about, like, classic Final Fantasy, you know? Like, I mean, those games are pretty complicated in terms of strategy and tactics. Yeah, and... I don't think they've stood the... I mean, for me, personally, they haven't stood the test of time. Final Fantasy VII, yeah. of course, of course, because I'm nostalgic mm. about it. It's flawless. Yeah, that's why they completely revamped it for the remake. That's right, yeah. But, like, going back I mean, to the original like Final, Final Fantasy... Trigger, we went back to, and, like, and that held up. That holds up really well. And a relatively simple game, right? So what... Yeah. No, no fluff. Don't get overly complicated. Uh, don't to reach too far with your control scheme trying <laughs> to think what yeah. else what are the other ingredients? i mean that that too is kind of falls under the umbrella of good design though right is yeah, i mean it's a big yeah. umbrella to be fair yeah, yeah that's I also think that there is a, like a, a good time and a place thing where I, I i think nostalgia does factor in um just as much as like oh this is a really good game uh but then also it was part of a moment and so people you know remember it well and it does stand the test of time particularly because when those people play it they have like memories and like the game itself doesn't impede that you know like they're okay i remember this being as good as it was because it was so streamlined it had, did have simple concepts and also i played it back in the day because it was popular you know? yeah holding hints what's the first sit down restaurant y'all are going to after this is over i'm going out for some korean barbecue so i can feel normal again <laughs> molten for holding uh i have uh i right before this whole thing started i was uh, begging my friend ronnie uh, and his girlfriend that like, hey, we need to go to a pizza hut. I want to go sit down in a pizza hut like I did when I was little. And then like it's tough, tougher than you think to find like a pizza hut where you can still go and sit down and they actually have tables ready to go. But like a couple exist in the city. So I was like, ready to go. Let's get this rolling. And then this virus crashes through. So absolutely pizza hut for a personal pizza pan hut. pizza once this thing's over. Perfect. There's a uh, a Mexican restaurant near my house called Cuco's, which I'm hoping will open again once this is all over because it's it's just a very small, you know, kind of family-owned restaurant. But my wife and I went there a lot before this happened, and it, we've been going through withdrawal for burritos at this point. Oh, no. You can still... Now, this is very specific. You can still... I know Taco Rando burned down. This is Minneapolis talk, but Maya, you can still go pick up a burrito there if you want. Yeah, I know, but I, I have an allegiance to this place because it's okay. still close. Cuco for so. Cuco's. I get it. And how close is it and what's the direction? Yeah, nice try. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> 
Juan Maroquin says, hello from Seattle. Uh, my favorite teriyaki spot recently closed its doors after 30 years of operation. Have you ever had a restaurant closed down and how did you deal with it? People are starving apparently from the questions. There saying. you go. Um, yeah. yeah. Restaurants that closed down that you were partial to. Yeah, there was uh, a pizza place also very close to where I live in a different direction. So I'm not going to say what it was so you can't triangulate okay. where I am. Uh, but they they made the closest that I had ever found to uh, like a New York style pizza that tasted like pizza from New York, and so I was very very happy to have found it because I I lived in New York for a while, and so I was missing that pizza for a long time, and they had it, and then I went and m lived in Japan for a year, and when I came back, they were closed, oh. uh, and that broke my heart. Ugh, brutal. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there was a place I went to in college all the time in Charleston. It was called Hoagie Heaven, and they made like uh, Philly cheesesteaks, and they had one that had like French fries in it, uh, and it was fantastic. And like <laughs> my whole life, I feel like I I anytime I order a Philly cheesesteak, it's me just chasing that sandwich, and I'll even get a side of fries and put my own fries in it and stuff. I've never been able to find anything as good. And then like. I, they closed down at at some point. I just kind of missed when it happened, and I remember try, even going there like with the intention to go get that sandwich. And that's how I learned that it had like turned into like Jimmy John's or something. Oh. And I still every couple of years I'll be like, man, I'm never gonna eat one of those ever. Like that's that's the whatever the last time I had that sandwich was the last time I had that sandwich. It bumps oh, me out. Devastating. There there was a place near near my place called Uptown Pizza, uh, and they didn't close down. They, I think they ended up moving. But I think their new location is is too far away for them to deliver to me. So they're dead as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I, I'm not able to get that pizza anymore. Which oh, is no. I'm sorry, Surreal. I'm sorry, Surreal. Uh, Mike, oh, there used to be um, a place in Columbia Heights, Minnesota called Albert's that served alligator burgers. Um, and they shut down. And so they'll be missed. Do you remember Albert's, uh. Jeffem? Wonder why they shut down. No, I don't. <laughs> Turns out it was not practical. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, they, they all taste like did. leather. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> sucking on leather. Uh, Mike Vote says, Hello, MinMax. Assuming standard McDonald's size, what's the right number of chicken nuggets? <laughs> Hang on. I got everybody come up with their number privately and then we'll say it on the count of three. Um, do we hold up hands or just say a number out loud? Let's say the number. Okay, everybody ready? This timing is going to be perfect. One, two, three, seven. Six. Ten cereal? Ten? Yeah, they had that one, that one deal, and I thought that, that's a good number of nuggets. What did you say, Hanson? I said seven. You two said six. All right. So seven. How, how are you going to do seven? I don't know. You eat seven. What are you talking about? <laughs> but so who's going to serve you like seven chicken nuggets? Three pack and then throw that's two away. A... I buy them one at a time from oh, the dumpster. Okay. You, you order a six pack and then you wink at them and they'll give you an extra one. <laughs> Christopher Reardon says, a few weeks ago, Ben mentioned journaling as a possible home activity coping mechanism during this public health crisis. I've never been able to commit to a journal for more than a few days, but I'm proud to say I have done it every day for two weeks in a row now and it has been a very rewarding experience. I don't have much to write about besides daily drama, news stories, and my progress in Stardew Valley and Ring Fit, but it still feels like I'm lifting a bit of weight off my soul every time I put the words down. I also agree that there may time a May come a time in the far future when I'd like to look back on what I and the world at large were going through during this time. Not a question, just a thank you for the great advice. 
Thank you, Christopher Reardon. That's excellent. That's great. Advice. Except I was the one who recommended it. Oh, I thought, yeah, it didn't seem too familiar to me, but there we go. Good job, Jeff. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, uh, let's see. Jeff Enright says, hello, quarantinians. Um, thought I would ask this week if you've ever watched a YouTube story gameplay edit of games you don't have time to play. Uh, yes, no. I, I do this every once in a while. Like, I think I watched the story mode of Mortal Kombat 10 on YouTube and then like Peace Walker I've never played. I just watched the YouTube cut, enjoyed the hell out of it. Just recently I did it with Crisis Core. Just find like a three-hour cut. It's a great time. Highly recommended if you're actually not going to go and play that game ever. Um, oh, Taylor Owens. Here's a weird one. Hey, there sure are a lot of remakes from games 20 years ago. Now, imagine it's 20 years from now. What games are getting remade and what are they like? Isn't this a stinker? I I like this question. Uh, I don't have I don't have an answer for it though. What? But I think it's it's interesting because I can't imagine what games we would remake that we would have to remake. You know, hmm. so much of so much of remakes is because that PS one PS two era those games just look bad and you don't want to go back to them. Yeah. But like, what are you what are you gonna remake? No Man's Sky. Control. I think uh I think Undertale could be like the next cave story in like twenty years. That they make a three D version of? Like just like they they keep making different versions of it with different visuals. Like who's the I'm sorry, who's the guy that directed Undertale? Toby Fox. Toby Fox. Toby Fox, like I don't know. I don't really think this will happen, but like maybe it's like a Minecraft situation where like someone offers him an absurd amount of money to just have Undertale. And that feels like, like oh, something that would happen. Everything I want to do with it, you can have it. And then they just like do remasters and they try a version with 3D polygonal characters and like that feels like know. seven years from now. I don't know yeah, about the 20, twenty years. Twenty's a mm, long right. time, man. I can't yeah, even we're think be of playing what games with our brains. <laughs> well, that's the question. What do you think gaming is going to be like in twenty years, Jeff? I'm probably going to be playing games with our brains. I don't no. know. That's going to be. 40 years but 20 years is going to be this weird middle ground where i have no idea probably similar <laughs> i have no idea it's such a mushy territory i mean valve's already talking about brain games like they've experimented with like people using their tongue to like as controllers that was just gabe like newell like, licking some cheese off there. of his dual shock i mean that's not <laughs> he's been talking about that for a long time uh, yeah i don't know remasters of like you know Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered Remastered. Oh, God. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Actually, like any Call of Duty game with a single-player campaign will probably be re-released. Yeah. What, like Minecraft? I mean, I feel like that will still be around, but yeah. I don't know if it will be a Breath of the Wild. That could remade, be. though? I could see them being remastered, but I, I don't... I mean, we probably said the same thing about Link's Awakening. Like, you know, oh, this is perfect. We don't need to do anything to this. <laughs> don't ever touch it. Yeah. I mean, I, I half jokingly said No Man's Sky, but in terms of like a game that feels like it's almost punching above its weight in a way that would be good yeah. throughout time and they could expand on it more, like maybe something like that, right? Maybe. Oh, it's... what about like Mass Effect? Like more than just no, a No, they'll never. Like Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. No, that again feels that... like seven years. Yeah, don't you think that won't happen? That feels like seven years ago they should have done that. (laughs) Uh, Brady E says hello, hello everybody. I hope you're having a fantastic day, Jeff. I hope your day is extra fantastic. 
Thank you. It is now. Oh my God, Brady. So based off the MinMax Twitter account, I already know that I like the look of the PS5 controller more than you all do. Ah, I was just being a little jokey. I don't hate it. Uh, but we're all about positivity here in the MinMax community, right? So I'd like to hear your favorite uses of the PS4 controller's light bar. Another thing I know I like a lot more than all of you, for me, it has to be how it flashes red, white, and blue every time you finish a level in Bro Force. That's very yeah. fun. Favorite uses of the light bar? I mean, the only use is to show, like, your health, right? It changes to to match whatever your health is, like, green to red. Yeah, like on recent, where they where they moved the light bar up into the touchpad, I think they're doing that, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, one that I only saw because I was wa- I was facing somebody while they were playing it is in Grand Theft Auto V, when you get chased by the cops, your controller flashes red and blue, mm. uh, which I think is pretty cool, actually. That is super fun. I think, yeah. God, was this just on the cover story trip they talked about, Kyle? But I think in Rise of the Tomb Raider, when you're by a campfire... I think it's like red and orange and white and it like alternates on the PS4 oh, controller. That's, yeah, that sounds right. I like, think there's something I, like I, that. I love that idea. Like I really do. Like I like the idea of you're sitting in a dark room, like it's sort of like getting flashes of like orange lights and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that works well with the, like the uh, the Philips like hue light bars that you can like put behind your TV and program. Right. Which none of, like you can do some of that stuff with PC games, but no console games. But I feel like that light doesn't, fill enough of like a dark room to make a difference and then it just only reflects in the tv and it becomes distracting like there's there's smart ideas there like i like that they're relocating the light bar to somewhere different on the controller to maybe make it more visible without reflecting in the tv but um yeah i think i think it's cool i just but it's it's even when it is used well it just doesn't quite work i think the way they hope it does you know sure eduardo uh morboxis says what was jeffem's favorite part of red dead redemption 2's epilogue yeah, Jeff. Sorry, <laughs> you know <laughs> spoil- <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on. Greg Flaming Queso Griffith uh, says, "Okay, I know Jeff. I'm finishing Red Dead Redemption Two. Comes up every episode, and was uh, hoping to do this on Minfax for the call-in. But let me give Jeff my best sales pitch. Don't worry, no spoilers. Jeff, I like you. Put down Red Dead Redemption Two about halfway into the game. In fact, I put that game down three different times and only pushed through to the end because of the MinMax, because of the MinMax Discord's encouragement. And I am so glad I did finish it. We have a mandatory quarantine now, and it is the time. Jump back in where you're in the game and follow the main story. I promise it's worth it. Now, are you calling Greg Flaming Queso Griffith a liar, Jeff? No, I'm sure he's right. I'm sure everyone is right. I want to go back to it. No, you now don't. Be... No, you don't. That is my I argument. I do. No, no I absolutely... do. It's been two years. You clearly do not want it. <laughs> I want there. it. You have nothing it's... but time. Now I have nothing but time to play Final Fantasy VII for the next month. Okay, great. Uh, you, you've had the last five months of sitting on oh, your thumb. Which which game wasn't I supposed to play to talk about, Hanson? You, how, about, how about you just type out a list, a schedule for me of what games I should play when, and then we'll go based on yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm okay, going to type... let's knock Pillars of Eternity off that list and replace <laughs> it with Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. I'm just saying you don't want to finish it that bad, otherwise you would have finished it. No, it's a it's a game that I want to go back to, but I know it'll take me another So when do you... I should... I, I, I understand that I have to jump in and just do a little bit at a time yeah. to go through it, but right now it is... 
it is that feeling of, well, I need 100 hours to sit down and actually play this and be a cowboy for as long as it's going to take me. You don't need 100 and hours. You could, I do. You could finish that game that I, in 20 to 30 hours from where I you're would, at. I would never do that. <laughs> Jeff, um, I'll start. After after Final Fantasy VII, there's no more games coming out, right? That's true. <laughs> so you're, are, you, games. are you promising that you will finish that game right now? I I am promising I will start playing it again. All right. Okay. Hey, progress. Let's yeah. take it. Yeah. Red Dead 2 Game Club, except it's just Fava. <laughs> Monologuing about Oh, my God. I would love that. That would be very yeah. fun. Uh, Evan McHugh says, any of you watch Onward? I felt like it was the first Pixar movie that was unquestionably worse than DreamWorks slash other studios. It had fun parts, what? but really felt off. Get out of here! With really generic designs and lame core gimmick. And this is Boo. on Disney Plus right now. Uh, Kyle, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, boo! No, boo. That onward's really good. I, I I do. I will agree with the generic designs. I will agree with that for sure. Yes. But I, I think that movie is really sweet and charming. And I, I, I've i watched it probably three times at this point. I really like it. Yeah, I watched Which it. Which one is it? Onward, the, the latest Pixar movie. But yes. what is it? It's about the brothers. It's like a, it takes place in a fantasy, a modernized fantasy world. And there are these two brothers who are trying to bring their father back to life for one day. It's on Disney+. Plus. Mm. Okay, <laughs> oh. I'll, I'll watch that instead of playing Red Dead. <laughs> 100 times it's only 90 minutes so you know uh yeah no i'm with you so i was i was in the camp of not liking the designs too much and even just the core idea it's like i don't like fantasy stuff plus i watched bright on netflix a couple years ago so i felt like i got the idea um yeah. but the, it really won me over there's like a there's a yeah. couple of moments and by the end of that movie it's like oh it's one of those movies where it's like okay i got it i know where this is going got it got it got it and then still tears in my eyes by the end it's like wow Give it up for the film, like for being skeptical yeah. and it still got me. And like, I think the quote unquote last boss in that movie is like, that's a really clever idea. Like where it comes from. It's like, I had never seen yeah. that in a movie before. I thought that was awesome. And just one scene without any spoilers, but just uh, in a vague sense where a character is watching another character do something that they suddenly realize is very scary. You know what I'm talking about, Kyle? Yeah. Yeah. And like, he's like, he wipes away a tear as he's like, it's fine. Everything's good. And like, Seeing a character cry because they're so scared for another character is like, I don't think I've ever seen that in an animated film. What a fun detail from yeah. them. Man, I love I love the dynamic between the brothers because it's about a pair of brothers. Yeah. And like, this is, there's an element of the movie where the older brother is clearly the one who is like, I love magic. I love this world of magic. I, I'm obsessed with this. Yeah. But it, it yeah. becomes the younger brother who sort of has to do the magic. And I love that that's never a point of like jealousy for the older brother. Like I love that the mm. older brother is just so supportive of the younger brother, like through and through. Like it's not. It, there's never a moment of like, oh man, I wanted to be the magic guy. It's is just that like, right? I'm there's not, he doesn't have one We're line about that. This. And like I just love that relationship between those two guys. Yeah, yeah, it works really well. Um, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the person who wrote in didn't like it. I I really I really did like it. Like I it, it I mean they probably haven't seen Cars three. I think is why they say. It's like I mean I think. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, Cars 3. Good Dinosaur is still a movie that I wanted to love so much and then was just sure. numb throughout the entire thing. Um, That's fair. Tom Blackburn says, Hello, quarantine-loving cohorts. Suddenly a great crack in the sky opens and light shines down Hanson's basement, uh, giving MinMax the power and burden of choosing a new first-party studio to develop a sequel to every first-party game. 
However, each property has to go to another platform. Da -da 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 -da. Um, all right. Who developed State of Decay 3? From oh, God, great question. From another platform. I think I think a good choice would be uh, any technically proficient studio. <laughs> How okay, so what's the most technically proficient studio from another platform? Even like a ready... So you, what? So you're talking first-party developer of a different platform gets it? Yes. Ooh, I'll go boys. with... The, I'll go... Um, it's not first-party, but they've worked together in the past. I'll give State of Decay 3 to Ready at Dawn. They have oh, okay. the, ex the multiplayer experience from Lone Echo now. They clearly are, they got their tech chops. They can handle it. Mario Party. Okay. Mario Party. Well, Naughty Dog has made party games. Have they? They made a Crash Bash. No, right? they, didn't make, they didn't develop Crash Bash. Oh, okay, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but they probably wanted to, so I agree, Kyle. Plus, I think it'd be fun because you'd basically be getting 100 Naughty Dog games in a package. So they should yeah. develop Mario Party, Super Mario Party 2, I guess. Sure. Spider-Man <laughs> 2. Uh, uh, oh, wait, it has to be a different... Yeah. Well, I was going to say Sucker Punch. My reaction was Sucker Punch because that's who I thought was going to make Spider-Man. I thought initially. so, too. Yeah. And was even... As much as I love, I ultimately liked Spider-Man, I was a little disappointed when it turned out to be Insomniac because I thought Sucker Punch was a better fit. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, t you know, taking a step back, like, Spider-Man came out fantastic. Like, I, they were clearly a great fit. But, yeah, hmm, Spider-Man, so different, yeah, different, different. Mojang? Developer. Mojang? <laughs> no. Uh, Ninja Theory? Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Oh. What's it like? Pitch it. Uh... Yeah. You, you're okay. You're Spider Man, right? Love it. Green light. Uh, all right, great. All right. Pitch over. I will. I will follow up with a full game attachment in email. Uh, what about Insomniac? But when Insomniac made Sunset Overdrive smart. for Xbox, that's really smart so. idea, man. That's a really smart idea. Uh, Fable. <laughs> so I guess the Fable reboot. Um, Fable reboot. Oh, uh, so got, uh, Intelligent Systems. Humor. Why? Make that pitch. Uh, well, with the RPG experience, the Fire Emblem, going back to like Paper Mario even, they got the comedy chops, they got the RPG chops. Have they made an action-based game? Have they made it? Have you... I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be. Um, yeah, have you ever heard of a little game called... <laughs> um, yeah, Surreal, you could say that again. Ever heard of a little game called WarioWare Smooth Moves? <laughs> You're right. I retract. Yeah, make it like WarioWare Smooth Moves. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Astrobot 2. Astrobot 2. Ooh, got it. Double fine. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was waiting for just a realm of no. applause to hit me here, but. Okay. Well, because, like. Just give that one to Nintendo. And, and actual like legitimate platforming hasn't been like their forte. I think it'd be a funnier version of Astrobot, but yeah, I guess you're right. We should just give it to the Mario team. <laughs> I yeah. guess that's stupid not yeah. to. All right. Labo VR. Sea of Thieves two. Uh, some mm. a gorilla, someone who 
is willing to in- give it some RPG mechanics. Okay. <laughs> That's all I want for that game. There we go. And the legend... Like I, and I, I even tweeted about it recently, or someone was tweeting at me, and they are like, no, no, you don't get it, man. Like, that, they want everyone to be level playing this field. This person's I'm like, so I smart. Wanna, I just want to have a reason to buy a sword that's like i don't want to buy anything because nothing does anything different i don't care like you don't get it i want want to be able to have some growth and i want this sword to do more damage you know i feel like the whole point of that game was that it wasn't that so it'd just be like or not sea of thieves what's that it'll probably be like skull and bones is basically what you want right i think uh yeah that's a weird one oh boy that's probably not coming out this year then uh the legend of zelda from just give it to from first party <laughs> yet uh gorilla yeah gorilla. just Actually, with the horizon stuff yeah, yeah. They there could, it is to make sea of thieves and zelda what, what if breath of the wild had icons indicating where you should go at all times instead mm. of the central thesis that you should just Whoa. do that stuff yourself. yeah or just give it to playground yeah the forza horizon team mm. or give it to mojang <laughs> give it to mojang uh all right thank you so much tom blackburn uh what do you guys like for question of the week I like the remakes 20 years from now or also what makes the game what makes the game stand the test of time. I think those are interesting. I, I think between those two, I like the remake one. I don't know if we had yeah. a really um, like came to a good agreement, but I just like that. I like that uh, sort of thought uh, experiment of just like, oh, yeah. what would be what could be remade, you know? All right. Yeah. Hey, Taylor Owens, congratulations. You get the League of Legends hey. soundtrack on vinyl. Way to go. Thanks for writing in uh, and being a supporter at patreon.com slash next 2 ends uh, For now, it's time for get a load of this. Jeff, mark your uh, file. Okay. Oh, oh cereal, Jeff, please. Go, go for it. No, cereal, yeah. No, 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 yo, I insist. You always go first, cereal. All right. Get a load of this. Yeah. Uh, here's a, a headline from Kotaku.com that says, Super Mario 64's glitchy smoke has been fixed after 24 years. Uh, so apparently the, the smoke that uh, Mario gets under his butt when he is uh, alighted <laughs> by fire or touches lava or whatever, it was apparently super glitchy for some reason. And I guess um, someone had like compiled the code and I guess they they made like a, a one line fix in the game's code. Uh, let me see. T- uh, turns out the quote texture is displayed in the wrong format by the game, resulting in black garbage pixels. Uh, and the fix simply correct, uh, corrects the error by displaying the texture correctly as a proper transparent smoke. It does not add any new art. The texture has been inside the ROM uh, the whole time. So if you remember. That smoke was like really puffy and kind of glitchy. Yeah. It's just a bunch of like black, like spidery lines. Um, and apparently, this one, this like quick fix, uh, makes it look like proper actual smoke. If you remember, if so, obviously, something that comes to everybody's mind is like the way uh, uh, Fox's Firefox looks in, in the first Smash Brothers. That's where right. It's just like a, a series of clouds. Yeah. So that's what it looks like after the patch, and it actually looks pretty cool. I wonder if the uh, in the remake then coming to switch yeah. what that's going to look uh, like uh so yeah it's weird how I, I really like it when these like very minor things emerge in games or it's like oh after all this time someone actually did this thing in, in this old school game um because i think uh one thing i like about it is that there's this narrative that like oh yeah all games 
are patched to death nowadays. Everyone just has fixes. I remember when games were completely perfect every when they whenever they were released and everything was okay and you never had to fix a game after it was released. Yeah. And he just yeah, I, I think this is like a really strong argument that's like now people just let things rock for a while. Right. Uh, and in the cases where they just didn't immediately like recall the game and like, you know, like the PAL version will have fixes to the North American release or vice versa. Um I, I like it when these like really small secrets are found in games and it's like, ah, after all this time turns out games were still uh, kind of like a, a seat of your pants kind of thing the whole time and yeah. not just recently. Awesome. Jevum. Hey, get a load of this. Uh, this was a headline that I came across on YouTube on Yahoo that I unfortunately clicked on. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself, but the, the headline said, Star Wars just resolved a Return of the Jedi plot hole that has agonized fans for decades. Oh, please alleviate <laughs> my suffering. Oh, Do you guys know what the plot hole was? No. Uh, apparently, Luke, Luke, when he left Cloud City, you know, he, he traveled to Cloud City and then he left on the Millennium Falcon, but then in Return of the Jedi, he, was, he had his X-Wing back. And people didn't know. Apparently, they've agonized for decades. How did he get his X-Wing back when he had originally left on the Millennium Falcon? And apparently, there's a new book out. Uh, <laughs> of course there is. Where Leia and Luke go back to Cloud City because uh, she gets frozen in carbonite and he saves her. And then Now, how get... much do you actually care about this versus just you think it's a stupid headline you wanted to call it out? I don't. I hate it. I hate that people are still doing this and finding about Star Wars plot holes that aren't actually plot holes. Plot no one hole. gives a crap. <laughs> no one gives a crap. It doesn't matter. We're he just got his X-Wing back no, at some point. We didn't need an entire adventure with Leia getting frozen carbonate <laughs> by the Imperials so that he could go back and get his damn X-Wing. That's fair. I, I'm with, man, another one that people call out like from Force Awakens is uh, Maz. Yeah. They were like, I can't believe we never learned how she got the lightsaber. Yeah. Who cares? Like, she found it. It, it opened she up the world matter, of mystery a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that. those always remind me of, like, whenever you visit and, like, you feel compelled to ask, well, how did you get this house? That's just the weird plot hole that at some point I met you, and then <laughs> and now you do. Can you tell me the entire story? Like, that's, like, the worst possible version of the Final Fantasy VII remake is where they're like, okay, we're going to spend five hours addressing this one plot hole that fans were, like, agonizing over. Well, I hope everybody enjoys the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, yeah, the Metal Gear Solid Five approach—they call it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's make a whole game to explain this one weird inconsistency that no one really cared about. Kyle, hit us. Okay, uh, and mine's small. I just, you know, made me laugh. Uh, this is hey, get a little of this, you guys. Uh, I like seeing one thing that I like about Twitter is just seeing people that I like and admire like interacting with each other. Ooh, yeah. And uh, Corey, I mean, uh, don't get too excited. Hans. <laughs> I, I love but, uh, seeing people. I like uh, Corey, Corey Barlog tweeted a picture uh, of him watching TV. And he said, ah, oh, man, the expanse is so good. And it's just a pit. It's like he just literally is laying on a couch. And he took a picture of his TV. And then uh, Duncan Jones, the director of Moon and the World of Warcraft movie, replied, talk about burying the lead, Corey. And what he did is he took a picture, took, you know, a, the picture that Corey Barlog tweeted out. And he zoomed in really close on his foot, and Corey Barlog is wearing toe socks. 
it's just like, <laughs> it's good. It's just like fun. It's like, oh, weird. The director of Moon is calling out the director of God of War for wearing weird socks while watching TV. Love it. Uh, hey, get a load of this. Uh, somebody tweeted at me and said, uh, Rolo oh. did, and said, hey, get a load of this, uh, calling attention to it. On December 9th, 2015, the actor Matt Jones, known for playing Badger on Breaking Bad, tweeted, I did not voice Wedge in the new Final Fantasy game. What? So when the trailer that debuted Wedge and Wedge's voice originally aired, his voice was not Matt Jones and everybody thought it was Matt Jones. And so Matt Jones had to clarify it. Then later was recast and Matt Jones became the voice of Wedge, as far as I can tell. Weird. Isn't that bizarre? And I looked through Matt Jones' okay. Twitter. It's the only time he's ever mentioned Wedge on Twitter was in 2015 insisting that it was not him. So even mm. even with it coming out on Friday, he's not like, hey, look look out for Final I haven't Fantasy seen it yet. No. It's very mm. strange. Uh, anyways, community choice. Jeff, and what do you got? Hey, get a load of this. Okay. On behalf of the community. <laughs> uh, this one... Flaming Queso posted it in the in the Discord. Yeah, uh, it was a tweet by Brian Altano, and I'm sorry I'm going to ruin the PlayStation Five controller for you forever now. But he, Brian Altano, posted, "I can't unsee Mario's overalls in the new PlayStation Five controller," and I'll send you the picture, Hanson, so you can show it here. Uh, yeah, it it has ruined it for me, and you will never unsee that now. Yeah, uh, I saw a lot of very fun photoshops of like, also it's like, oh, it's kind of like a girl's bikini or it looks like Totoro. I saw John Carson mock-up. There's a lot of uh, fun twists uh, on there. But hey, thank you so much for listening to or watching this episode of the Midnight Show, everybody. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, and the deepest dive for Final Fantasy VII Remake basically starts now. Uh, if you're playing it, uh, you can take some notes. We're looking for your specific, specific thoughts on the game. The more specific you get with oh what's up with this detail here or this line here or this art asset here the higher the chance we read it on the show because we want it to be the most comprehensive thorough discussion about that game on the internet so please help us make it happen and the patreon post will go up on monday and if you support us at any tier you can leave a comment and then we'll read it on the game club discussion um anything anybody else would like to plug uh call your parents ah uh, yes check in on them I, I got I got shamed by my mom because she called me and she asked how I was doing. This was like two weeks ago. And then at the end, she just said, well, yeah, you know, I heard from my other children. And I so I just wanted to check in oh, and see no. how you were doing. Like, <laughs> oh, crap. But just check in on the people that you love. Give them a call. Don't just text them like a millennial. That's a good actually call. call and have a good conversation since we're all locked up on our own right now teach him how to use video chat that was a fun experience with my parents uh, recently so i recommend <laughs> it to everybody but all right thanks so much everybody be good have fun let's go Bye.